In the mid-1980s, Martin Scorsese's career hit a snag. After starting the decade off with the huge critical success, Raging Bull, Scorsese's next film, The King of Comedy, was misunderstood and panned. My name is Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> I was born in Clifton, New Jersey, which was not at that time a federal offense. <laughs> is there anyone here from Clifton? Oh, good, we can all relax now. <laughs> In 1983, after releasing The King of Comedy, Scorsese got down to work on a, no pun intended, huge passion project. For years, he dreamt of turning the Greek novel, The Last Temptation of Christ, into a feature film. Making The Last Temptation of Christ would take a whole lot of capital that Scorsese had accrued over a pretty unrivaled creative run in the 1970s and early 1980s. However, as the budget went up and Christian groups began protesting, Paramount got cold feet and pulled out of the production, leaving it in limbo. Thus began a torturous period of waiting, with Scorsese looking around for another studio. In the breach, Amy Robinson, whose career was started with Mean Streets, gave him a screenplay for a black comedy she wanted to produce with her partner, Griffin Dunn. This project was After Hours, the film we are discussing tonight. This is one of the forgotten films that Scorsese directed. It is definitely overshadowed by Raging Bull and Last Temptation of Christ. On our wedding night, I was a virgin. And we made love. You've seen the film, haven't you? The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I've seen it. Well, we made love. Whenever he, you know, when he came, he just scream out, surrender Dorothy. It fits into a subgenre of 1980s movies called the Nightmare Yuppie Cycle. These movies combine the screwball comedy with elements of neo-noir. Griffin Dunn stars as Paul Hackett, who is quite the yuppie. He works in an office day in and day out, doing data entry into a very 1980s computer. At a coffee shop, he meets a young woman named Marcy who flirts with him and gives him the number to an art studio she implies she's staying at. Marcy is played by Rosanna Arquette. Are you all right? Where are those plaster of Paris paperweights anyway? 
I mean, that's what I came down here for in the first place. Well, that's not entirely true. I came to see you, but where are the paperweights? That's what I want to see now. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. Right now? Yes, right now. From then on, Paul is thrown into a black comedy labyrinth, otherwise known as Soho, where things keep going wrong. He is tested, and again and again and again, he fails. And in some ways, it's almost like he's the anti-Jesus. A man who fails every moral test and gives in to every temptation. Would you just give me a goddamn token? No, goddammit, I cannot give you a token. Those tokens are dollar and a half I can't sell for 97 cents. We lose money that way. All right, there's a train. There's a train. Come on, give me a token. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I wanted to take the express and not I mean, hey. He deals with suicide, crime, Cheech and Chong, and is persecuted by a mob. The film also stars Catherine O'Hara, Linda Fiorentino, Will Patton, Terry Garr, and of course, Cheech Marin and Tommy Chong. I have had a terrible, terrible night. Do you understand? I'm just trying to entertain you. I don't want any entertainment. I'm sorry I did that. Sorry, I just, I, I'm under. Oh, God. The original screenplay was written by a very young screenwriter, Joseph Minion, who was 26 at the time it was released. He had written it, originally called Lies, for a classic Columbia. The bohemian Soho lifestyle, filled with artists, frustrated creatives, and a true 1980s style, rampant crime, is juxtaposed to the gray, boring office, yuppie life, that Paul Hackett has during the day. The endless loop is punctuated by the beginning and ending being exactly the same. Once the night has drained everything out of Paul, he is deposited back on the steps at work, again to begin the day over. Scorsese put his own frustration, with studios just stringing him along, into the dialogue and the general feel of the film. May I enter? I can't let you in at the moment. Will it be possible to be uh, admitted? Uh, at a more convenient time for the club? It is possible, but not at the moment. If you're so drawn to it, try and force your way in. There is nothing particularly exciting or innovative available in the yuppie world taking over Manhattan at the time. However, Soho in this film is nightmarish, strung out, and increasingly ridiculous, showing the increasing hollowness of everything in the Reagan era. The bagel and cream cheese paperweight, which appears in the film, is a good metaphor for the increasingly utilitarian nature of art, an absurd attempt to make the once charming and original Soho aesthetic work for a corporate world. They're in Kiki's bedroom. Then get them, because as we sit here chatting, there are important papers flying rampant around my apartment because I don't have anything to hold them down with. Scorsese was inspired by the work of Kafka setting the trial as the inspiration not just for the Club Berlin scene in the film, but as a personal feeling that Scorsese had during this time period. Scorsese cited a particular story before the law to describe how he was feeling. Even the angry mob, led by Catherine O'Hara, feels very Kafka-esque. This film is a fun, frenetic, absurdist comedy, but also an interesting window into both the state of 1980s America and Scorsese's frustration during this time period. My girlfriend just killed herself a little while ago. Took some sleeping pills. Oh, Jesus. 
Christ. Oh, no. He, uh, we had an argument. I told her she had to get out of the apartment. I, I, it's my fault. God. Marcy. 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 Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Moving That Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, and which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Conan Neutron, host of Britonic Reversal, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, as well as Action Chief. Jay Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks, this Barbie is streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. Send her some subs on Twitch. Rick Valentin is a professor of creative technologies in the School of Music at Illinois State University. Has released 15 albums with bands including Holster Children, Thoughts Detecting Machines, and Salaryman, and one half of the bi-weekly show Radio Zero. I, of course, am your physically incapable of getting shaved for Mohawk Night host, Boris Miller. Let's get to sculpting in Soho. Also, yeah. literally one of the first podcasts, Radio Zero, NBD. Also, I hate this view. Thank you. You know, you, you, <laughs> you know what is interesting about like this film is I totally forgot that Griffin Dunn is was the older brother of Dominique Dunn, and their resemblance is like was so strong. I keep, like this came out after she was murdered, like three oh. years afterwards. Dominique Dunn, that's... Uh, uh, From Poltergeist. Of course I know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I forget that, that you know, that the Dunn family is a bit of a, almost like a bit of a dynasty. Very, very small, if you will. But, uh, of course, I know Griffin Dunn from, you know, you know, an American werewolf. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, like, the first thing I saw him in, for sure. I mean, and I I definitely, when I saw American Werewolf in London, I was, I was like, oh, I, this isn't quite what I expected, but I'm totally here for it. Uh, but yeah. I, I mean, I dare say, like, this is an outlier in the Scorsese catalog. I love this movie. This movie's awesome. It's, it's hilarious. A, I mean, it has one other movie in its company, though, which is Bring Out the Dead. Sure, sure. Well, and also, I mean, I think somebody even said something about it in the comments. Like, look, all peace and love, but the Safdie's good time is basically like millennial after hours. <laughs> Yeah, with bisexual people, lighting, and I, I mean, like, I'm sure they're fans, you know. <laughs> people have also like uh, compared it to Bo is Afraid, which is really oh, I, yeah, that, totally, yeah. That uh, it's, it's yeah. really funny that Scorsese liked that movie so much because he likes this movie. You know, he likes like this as a project that he worked on. It like brought him back to having like Mojo again after you know he kind of had some crushing uh, cancellations of of projects and you know yeah. became comedy, which now has like a resurgence and like everybody loves it. 
but at well, the time, they, the Joker, you know, well, the Joker film kind of like took in a little bit of inspo from that, so that kind of yeah, it literally is just that movie. Yeah. It's basically just that movie, but a superhero movie. Yeah, uh, Rick, what's your what's your history with After Hours? Because I know you're a fan. That's why we uh, also welcome Rick. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah, also on. welcome. <laughs> Seventeen <laughs> minutes later, hey Rick, welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, I I'm, I was trying to remember when I first saw it, but I I believe I saw this film projected. Not in a theater, but at, uh, I'm old enough where uh, at universities they used to have like a film society and they would, you know, rent 16 millimeter films and every weekend would show movies. And I believe this was a film they showed. And so, yeah, I, I saw awesome. it really early on um, and loved it. And I think, yeah, it, it definitely was of that era of cult film, um, similar to like, you know, Blade Runner. It, uh, even Apocalypse Now in a weird way, you know, the, these films are now considered great, but I think at the time there was a little bit of sort of, uh, yeah, they, they were kind of seen as uh, failures in a way, right? And then there was a cult of people, you know, basically college students, right? And film critics who loved it. And then once VHS, you know, rentals, came about i think the popularity grew so that's 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 kind of my history with it is is it was just one of those examples of a great amazing movie that no one seemed to like and everyone viewed externally as a flop and a failure but it was like well maybe yeah. it's a financial failure but for me it was a real i don't know it was a great movie it hit me at the right time in my early 20s it really encapsulates that era right before the internet yeah, it's this is a perfect example of this movie doesn't exist with the cell phones, right? Like, there's no way. Like, like nothing, <laughs> none of the problems that he gets into, like, so many of the things would be solved. Like, much, much in the way that, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off doesn't work with cell phones, you know? It, it's like he a actually, catalog of movie. He actually just talked about that with uh, Fran Lee Woods. They they had this long ranging conversation. Oh, that, that's of, in the uh, in the 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 because uh, the, there's a new Criterion edition yeah, yeah. of this, and so I they, I they have a long yeah. and I clipped stuff from it. I didn't clip that part, but they have a long the long ranging conversation about this movie and about New York City because literally like there is no abandoned part of New York City anymore, right? Like the the whole point of this movie is that they were able to shoot it because this yeah. part of Soho was completely desolate. There was no one like, there. Yeah, it was yeah. either people were like. During the day, people were there, but at night, it was like, no, nothing. Yeah, everyone was either, like, everyone was in, like, Club Berlin, pretty much. Like, those kinds of places. Or, like, in their lofts. Like, nobody was kind of wandering the streets in the 80s in this part of uh, New York City. The buildings, like, most of them were abandoned. It's, like, yeah. one of the oldest parts of the city that, you know, they filmed, like, all, all of this on. So, it was just, like, this, you know... Uh, dark, desolate, like stretch of city that he yeah. can use to do pretty much whatever he wants. That does not exist anymore in the city. Like, there's yeah. no that yeah. a, anything like that either has been turned into like uh, multi million dollar fucking you know like like apartments or yeah yeah it's been Disney fied yeah, yeah yeah absolutely like it's yeah it's 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 a time capsule of pre Giuliani New York and, and it's like every city was like that. You had these crazy little pockets where all the artists and the musicians lived and could afford to live. And that's all gone again, just in the same way, you know, that the fear of having, you know, like uh, losing, you know, not having cash. Uh, having right. Yeah. Your $20 flies out the window, which is yeah, like <laughs> being able to, you know, being able to live in a city, you know, even though it's dangerous, you know, you're an artist, you're a musician, and you've got this weird little subculture and, and camp kind of area of the city you can live in. That's that's all gone. And it's, yeah, that's what I love about it, too, is that time capsule. It's just like, oh, yeah, I think the first time I went to New York City, you know, as a musician, it would have been 
late 80s and it was it was parts of it were like that soho right yeah. you'd go and play and it was like it was super scary and it was like okay don't you know park the van right in front of the club somebody should be in the van don't wander you know, away play, yeah wander away <laughs> after the show you know oh where are you gonna sleep you know are, yeah. you can't stay in the city overnight with the van you know yeah. all that kind of stuff and now yeah you're right it's just like disneyland and most cities are like that now it's like all been pushed out there's not you know i, I feel like i feel like the, the thing in some ways but it's bad yeah. in others the symbolic nature of like the bagel and cream cheese paper mache paperweight uh is kind of signifying the beginning of that because it's like the commodification of uh you know the, this this art that's happening like this bohemian art in soho yeah. that's like so famous being, and can, like, can i just say being, that rosanna arquette and a utili- wait wait just, my, just getting out the last part of the thought being forced to be used as something utilitarian within like a corporate world within a corporate like yeah, you know white color office that can't that it just doesn't fit in there right like you can't put that on your actual table and be like you know what i mean like but rosanna arquette and linda fiorentini had that loft to themselves right like just like how <laughs> yeah. how like that, that's and on rewatch of course that's what i'm thinking about now like as a kid i wouldn't have noticed that but like yeah like i was, I was like can you imagine what that would go for now? You know, like. <laughs> but that was the thing back then. You a million dollars a month. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If it was a, if it was like in Alphabet City or something in 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 Manhattan, you could live in a place like that. It was it yeah. was super dangerous. There were no stores around. Right. You couldn't go outside at night. You know, uh, you kind of would. You know, yeah. But but it was possible. You could get great spaces. You know, and yeah, live in those crowbar. Kind of the crowbar yeah. propped up against the door. Right. Yeah, yeah. You gotta lock up your yeah your loft. Yeah. There's also like the melding of uh, kind of strung out gay culture at this point in this movie, uh, like throughout it, right? Like pretty much like every other character you see is like some uh, gay bohemian guy and fucking like even when he's in the bar and and he finds out that like uh, you know Marcy's dead, the bartender. Um, yeah. It's like there's like the, the the two guys dressed up in the with the chains, yeah, like the two leather daddies, daddies that are, yeah. yeah. Oh no, that's terrible, you know. <laughs> and it's like a mixture between that, but then even that's getting more respectable. And you have like you know, like he meets the, the guy the, in the park. Like that's how gay people used to meet back in the day. Apparently, yeah. Um, <laughs> you go to the park, and, and there's just gay people there. Um, yeah, there was another thing about this film is at that time, you know, you did not see um, a diversity in gay characters it was very very you know if there was a gay character they would it would be super stereotyped right and this, right. this is variety the the guys you know who are reporting about the break-ins you know it's like well, they're 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 probably gay but they're not you know extravagant or you yeah. know like a stereotype or i guess they are uh, you know now you would say oh there's you know this this stereotype this stereotype this stereotype whereas before it was just basically like at that time culturally it was like what paul lind or something you know it was like very yeah. very specific <laughs> and to see nice. um a, a subculture like this you know now it's like oh you got the internet you got other movies and everything like that this was a really kind of uh connecting thing in the same way like T- twin peaks was later right where where it was like oh this is this is about the freaks the freaks who live in the city the artist people the music people you know and it was like oh i know these people and and it was like a little glimpse into that and, and the romantic idea of New York City is <laughs> like, well, he, gives like you, he gives you a little uh, glimpse of that really early on in, in Mean Streets. Uh, yeah. There's the scene where they're all yeah. fleeing the, the shooting at the bar and there's the very uh, flamboyant gay guy that has to get into their car with them that they all know clearly, but they're all pretending like trying to pretend like they don't know. And he's like yelling out the window like, uh, you know, he's like, why should I? That guy like. I feel like uh, it's a lot more um, 
by the time you get to th- this movie, I think Scorsese's take on uh, gay culture in the city is a lot more nuanced than you know the the, the two guys that get into the car that they totally. kick out because they're too drunk and uh, too gay. You know, too gay. Gay for Harvey Keitel and uh, <laughs> and the guy that played um fucking uh, Richie April. In the, <laughs> in the Do you think yeah, Scorsese yeah. actually smoked pot before this movie? <laughs> like I, I mean, like, like he seems like a square, right? <laughs> oh no! How, how would anyone in this panel know the answer to that question, Andy? Well, I can tell I, you. It's it's the. I think this is the post Coke movie. I mean, there's you, you yeah, listen to yeah, this. Yeah. Him and, yeah, well, I mean, Raging Bull. Like four, Raging Bull is the post Coke movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's another. Do, 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 do. Yeah, no, so well, that, that, no. It's a it's a big part of why that movie was made is that Scorsese had overdosed, uh, like he really needed help, and Robert De Niro picked him up out of like pretty much like he was yeah. he visited him in the hospital and was like you you can either you know go into being a permanent coke fiend pretty much or you can stop now and raging bull the, the entire point of that movie is he's battling his own demons through you know a very um abusive uh guy with ct i mean <laughs> if, if, de niro carrying scorsese around like a little baby uh, if, if robert de niro tell me the you know the ship up or ship out or whatever i'm like okay I'll listen to you, Bobby. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll keep D. the coke addiction. But I mean, this this probably is like also. I mean, this is another post coke movie for sure. But it, you know, that's like uh, the the famous story about his like kicking the habit, just like Scarface is the story about like Oliver Stone kicking the habit, right? Like all yeah. of these uh, kind of um, you know new Hollywood directors at some point within the same kind of time period in the eighties had to like reckon with the fact that they all had coke addictions by this point and it and it probably helped them writing in the moment but then like not you know it's not a, a conceivable plan for a long period of time like otherwise you're gonna get strung out like this whole movie kind of feels <laughs> yeah yeah so i would yeah i would argue that this whole movie is is kind of yeah just a strung out kind of coke nightmare right mm-hmm. it's like the 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 tail end of that era and where everyone's burning out and and it's really like sort of hyper and intense and crazy and everyone's freaking nuts right they're just they're just kind of fried well and i I think it also operates in a rare echelon that even without like you know like the drug references it still works as just that that generalized anxiety like there's a certain kind of movie which is the person stuck after everything's closed and trying to just do a thing and trying to usually just trying to get home and as someone that like really you know i've, I've never been a drug guy like at all and, and like i i don't think you need that to appreciate any of this but like it, it i think it's something where you can get some value out of that especially like around this time period again that you certain things just wouldn't happen but small things talk about Bo was afraid the exchange at the subway counter where it's like oh yeah fair went up and he's like trying to like count out the change he's like yeah. oh my god <laughs> like oh that, you know and then he jumps in and like the, the the cop the guard whatever gets him and then he's like i've never done this before i'm so sorry it's just like oh my. it's like if you were to take like some small moments it's like yeah, that's Ari Aster's seen this for sure, and like, and and, and I, and I, you know, I, we did the episode. I, I like Bo's Afraid quite a bit, but like, I, I refrain from calling out in the episode. But holy crap, on rewatch, I'm like, yeah, that's that's almost like the bodega scene, you know, down to the music and everything. Like, <laughs> right, the, yeah. totally. Um, but I do, I do really like <laughs> my favorite line. I think of this whole movie is when he's talking to the fair guy. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, I could lose my job. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like who would know? And he's like, 
I might get drunk. I might tell somebody at a party. Who knows? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's such an incredible. It's so. That's so. It's so funny. That's the thing. Is like this is a very funny movie. And like, how many I, yeah. Scorsese movies can you say that about? Not very many well, of them. And what? I'm thinking about- is a comedy. Well, yeah, 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 and I'm thinking like how many movies? Like for me, I think that's why I love this movie so much. Is like I don't, I don't know if I, I've laughed as much in other movies upon repeat viewing. Also, like I continuously yeah. laugh when I watch this movie. Now I've been told that that means there's something wrong with me, but, <laughs> but for me, this it is. It's like there's there's there golden lines almost every few minutes. Like wouldn't yeah. that almost like throwaway scene where like he's out and like he sees through the window like the woman like shoot the guy? Says I bet I'm gonna get blamed for that too. I was like that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it ups the body count by one too, which means you know if you're if that's your metric. But like, I, I mean, it's genuinely like that's a hilarious explanation. Like anybody, like this is great. I love that the dude who wrote this um, is his name really Minion? Minion. Yeah, Joseph Minion. Yeah, boy, that's unfortunate. And that's coming from someone named Conan. Uh, the like he wrote it first class, right? He wrote he wrote it for like a, a like his film class. Can you Which just is imagine his insane. grandkids right now, like going through school as minions? Oh my god! Just let them change their name, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, it's based off of a of a, like a, a monologue that he heard in one of his classes, and then the guy that yeah, we, which, uh, the guy right, that right. gave the monologue um after the fact said like wow you know like if i was kind of if i was a litigious guy i could have like completely sued them for yeah <laughs> for cribbing my monologue because i know that that kid was in my class. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's a very smart script too. It's very, it's very, and it's on the page. That's the other thing is that like, and well, that's one of the yeah. things I like about it. And I think that's an important thing to talk about. I mean, there, it, it is. It, there's a, a large amount of stuff lifted in this movie, and and yeah, that Joe Frank monologue, the Joe Frank radio show, that the first thirty minutes of the movie is basically lifted from. I, I, you know, yeah. and I don't, I don't know if Joe Frank's ever actually ever did publicly talk about it. I think there was a payment involved. What's really interesting about Joe Frank as he, you know, did these radio programs for 30 or 40 years, some of the late last ones, uh, he had a guy and another actor, he always had actors, you know, playing characters on his show. And uh, one of them was Larry Block was on like the last few seasons of Joe Frank and Larry Block played the cab driver in after hours oh that's right yeah 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 the, the guy with the captain's head and i would just <laughs> love to know like did they meet each other because of some connection through after hours or yeah. did Larry block yeah no joe frank back then and it just gets super complicated and 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 loopy and weird about how tied up this all is and the fact that joe minion didn't really do a huge amount of script writing after this i think he got pretty tagged as a plagiarist a little bit you know he kind of lifted a large amount of the the initial narrative of this this film directly from joe frank you know thinking oh i'm you know college student you know you start you start writing no one no one knows this yeah yeah and you just kind of go go with it and it's a great movie but it's also yeah sometimes you gotta give people credit and you know i guess i guess uh joe frank actually did uh file a plagiarism suit (laughs) there we go after this movie came out and at, like Oops, it was yes. happening during his uh, vampires kiss thing, and that's why his career never actually took off. Yeah. Whoopsie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> somehow, somehow Scorsese was untouched by his uh, by the play. Well, it, he he <laughs> distracted it. I mean, it was really yeah. Griffin Dunn and Amy Robinson's yeah. deal. Like they they were the ones the ones that um, wanted to. They knew yeah. well enough what was going on, right? 
I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just like I mean, I think uh, at the time, uh, I think Scorsese was just bummed that he couldn't get Last Temptation of Christ made, right? I mean, that was like his. He's like, I'll just make thing. this movie, whatever. He's like, whatever, this will be a good, you know, and and like even now, like he, uh, <laughs> God damn it, going <laughs> into the secret minions, God damn it, uh, I gotta stop looking at the chat. Uh, that he. It was like a breaker for him, right? Like, and it sort of like allowed him. And that's one of the reasons I think you were saying that um, for us that it's it's why he like thinks so fondly of it because it's it sort of like got him back into you know doing movies and and like kind of like remembering the love of it and not just the disappointment. And I, I think that's that's um, that's notable considering that because again, remember Amy Robinson Mean Streets, right? Like, and we covered Mean yeah. Streets. I always wondered what happened to Teresa for me. Yeah, it's like, what would happen yeah. to her? Like, she's great. Yeah. Like, where? <laughs> and, and just the fact, you know, if you listen to the commentary track where Michael Ballhaus, the uh, the cinematographer, is talking about how many shots they did per night and how how many, yeah, it's something like 600 shots they did in, it's what, crazy. 40 days, 30 days? I mean, it, it was really, yeah, it's an amazing uh, feat, this movie, how good it looks, how amazing it is, and how fast they did it. I mean, it was basically an independent film you know and including one uh one thing where they actually rigged a um a camera to the keys when they throw down the keys <laughs> and like a like a an early version that is so of, crazy yeah something like a and i i have a clip where he, he talks about that later but this is the this is him talking to fran Leibowitz about um uh what this movie kind of did for him and which before before we start this i don't think i've ever seen fran lebowitz be so excited to positively talk about something ever (laughs) (laughs) like she is excited to talk about after hours with marty this also proves that you know even scorsese had a flop era you know like it's true it's true i know you're trying to intro the clip but i just just had to point that out because i watched this feature and i was like wow she's pretty she's pretty animated and like isn't being a cranky Anyway, yeah, go ahead. It's it's crazy that his <laughs> it's crazy that his uh post Coke era though is his flop era and Oliver Stone's post Coke era is his like most successful era yeah. of his career. Yeah. Because, like, Scarface was written Dif- like diff- different cokes for different folks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't quite have an ending at that point. But in any event, uh I thought, well, look, it's containable. It's shooting at night. It's in areas that are deserted. Uh, there's only a few characters, um, and I, I really loved the idea of the the dark comedy of it, and I actually kind of identified with the character at that point, you know, just lost in the underworld. I was at a very interesting point in my filmmaking. I was completely locked out by that point. What was the movie right before? King of Comedy. Very, very uh, tough picture to make for me, and for the whole year of 83, I worked on Last Temptation, we were flying around the world, getting costumes, locations, casting, everything else. And then that was canceled uh, four weeks before the end of the year. King of Comedy was listed by the end of the year, New Year's Eve. I remember on Entertainment Tonight, I happened to have it on, and I was putting on a tie to go to a dinner for New Year's Eve. And they said, and now the flop of the year. And King curtain, of Comedy? <laughs> and the curtain opened, and there was King of Comedy. So uh, what had happened during, during that period of time, King of Comedy was completely... Uh, ignored um although it did receive a couple of good reviews not by me no no i know it's a great and not from not from the british the british loved it so that new year's eve not only was i you know cast out of paradise by entertainment tonight 
Yes. No, Entertainment Tonight, finally, they, they did the final the final blessing, so to speak. Not only is your latest film complete laughingstock of Hollywood, where you couldn't get it made and everything, they spent millions on it already, and it was, the plug was pulled at the last minute, but your last picture is the flop of the year. I came back to New York, and for some crazy reason, wound up living in the lofts downtown in Soho or in Tribeca, actually. But in any event, um, uh, at that point, it was kind of open again. I, I had to start all over again. I wanted Gangs in New York, and that couldn't get financed. I wanted Last Temptation. The plug was pulled. Nobody would go near me on it. Um, so I had to start all over again. I was uh, completely uh, no money at all. You know, bought this loft. And buying a loft is one thing. Fixing up the loft is another. Especially then. Yes. Right? Because it had just recently been a shoe factory. That's right. Right. And the, the brick... The brickwork. The plumbing. Man. Yeah, the plumbing. One elevator, and I'm on the 10th floor. And when the elevator isn't working, we're hiking, you know. And I'm saying to myself, I was in a, I'm come from the tenements, you know. Okay, I, this is where I belong in these streets with the cobblestones and the red brick. And the metal trash cans. The metal trash cans. Which no one remembers except us. No. We, right? Exactly. Because they made this huge noise. The noise, yeah. the noise of the construction, the noise of the streets. It's something that I got away from. For years and i i oh this is really i'm back where and i realize i don't belong here but i'm stuck here i can't broke and i there's and there were no restaurants there were no there was no, nothing, nothing. There if, was nothing. if i went like i lived in the village at the time if i would go to Soho to visit i've had friends who live there they would say things like could you bring milk yes exactly right yeah like, could you yeah. could you bring a pack of cigarettes yeah 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 prior to that soho meant the image of my mind and this kind of played into the movie was um, sinister um, because if you want to steal hubcaps, which I know that I don't know. In the it's early, always been my priority. I, exactly, yeah. Fran. I'm not sure of it. <laughs> if you want to steal a hubcap, you go to That's Crosby what... Street, <laughs> you go to Mercer Street, you go around that area at night because during the day, trucks, trucks, right. open people, get chaos and traffic. At night, dead quiet, isolated. Uh, every now and then you see a couple in a doorway having some kind of sex thing. Or you go get mugged. Or you beat somebody up. That's what it was. You're taken to Crosby Street and you say, hey, we gotta wanna talk to you for a second, and you work them over. Nobody knows. That was Soho to me. Different you know, times. It's different times, uh, man. Uh, you know, with, with with him wanting to do, you know, The Last Intention of Christ, I was looking into it because I was like, he did make it after this film. And I totally forgot that Willem Dafoe was Jesus and Harvey yeah. Keitel was Judas. And, Everyone was like, yeah, Harvey Keitel as Judas was bad. I mean, that's a different discussion. I, I'm more amazed that he still had Gangs of New York, uh, like, that script back then. Because you think about, like, oh, when I'm thinking of, for that long? Yeah, that's what he was saying, Gangs of New York yeah. back then. So, like, when you're thinking about other times of art, like for, you know, for Rick and I, like when we're making records, you write the record and you record the record and so on and so on. But it's interesting to think about uh, with screenwriting and uh, directing. You can have a script. Good script is still going to be a good script <laughs> like 20 years yeah. later when you apparently finally get the funding to do it. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to have that be somebody asynchronous, especially, I mean, I think it works fine. I mean, Gangs of New York is a period piece, right? Like, yeah. that's not going to change. It's, it's yeah. still going to You know, like, Gangs of New York took, like, decates to make, and Goodfellas took, like, what, like, just a few years. Yeah, that, that was. Based off the book. And it also, right. Last Temptation of Christ took him almost a decade to make, if you think about it. Well, Last Temptation of Christ, the original cast of it was Aiden Quinn as Jesus, Sting as uh, Pontius Pilate, 
and uh, Ray Davies from the Kinks as uh, as what? Judas. Yeah. Wow. Okay, you see, you're 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 roping me into talking about Last Temptation of Christ, which I really don't want to do. I want <laughs> to talk were, about After Hours. But were that there is... ever any other considerations, casting wise, for After Hours besides like a sense? Well, Griffin Dunn and Amy Robinson, they're the ones that brought the script to. As I call him Marty, as his friend. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it was always going to be Griffin Dunn in, in the main role, because that's, like, what he was looking for, I think. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, it was originally supposed to be directed by uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> and then right. uh, Terry Garr was attached. Uh, Griffin Dunn says in the commentary track that Terry Garr was the first actress to agree. She was attached to the product project before, you know, Tim Legend. Burton. And, yeah, so she, she was old friends. Because Griffin Dunn, you know, his because of his father, right, had lived yeah. in Los Angeles, and so he he's had got those connections. He, yeah, yeah, knew Terry Gar for years. He's also well, anyway. uh, he's also Joan Didion's uh, nephew. Nephew, yeah, which is kind of really? cra- yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Is he related <laughs> to Brooks and Dunn too? He's the one. He's the one that made that documentary. That's like Joan Didion at home, and it's him oh, hanging out with Joan Didion when she's like really old. Yeah, I I love that uh, Terry Gar. Her her character in this is great, and then like she puts on the monkeys record, and that's doubly hilarious when you know that Terry Gar was in Head, the monkeys movie. Yeah. Totally, yeah, sixties go go dancer, yeah, yeah, was yeah. In, uh, Elvis movie too, right? I can't remember what Elvis movie. She her did. character also has an entire yeah. shelf of hairspray, which I did, never. Oh caught yeah, the Aquanet. I was like, Holy that's crap, the other that's thing. Yeah, they're just little things. Like the Aquanet was like that. Everybody had Aquanet. That's yeah. what kept the beehives going in yeah. the sixties, and the and then, metal hair going it, into yeah, like it the looped hair around in the eighties. Oh, hey, yeah. in the eighties in Texas, let me tell you, it was nothing but big hair and beehives. It was it was insane. We, we, you know, we, we created the whole neo zone in Texas. And now people, now women use it for the care and cuts. Uh, Ter- Terry Gar was also the hot assistant of Gene Wilder in uh, yeah, Young, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I was remember. Like, I was like, I was like, I, I know her from somewhere. And it was like, Jeez. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Young Isn't Frankenstein. The wife, the wife in Close Encounters. Yeah, that's true. Yep. 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 Well, and also it's funny that like, um, <laughs> Both the parents in Home Alone are in this too, like years before that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Also, I was like, oh yeah. But John they're like, We're, you know what? It would be so funny if we did like a movie together in the future. Yeah. It became a classic Christmas hit. Like, what are the odds? Yeah, <laughs> which also, which also mean, makes it funny that uh, you know Joe Pesci is the is the um the guy like in Home Alone. He's the fucking burglar. He's one too. of the, oh, the yeah. Jokes, yeah. It's like the it's a movie stocked by um. By uh, Scorsese's like gallery of repetitive, like you know, stars or whatever. And that's another thing about this film in that era is you don't realize now, but like seeing Catherine O'Hara, which you know, it's like, oh, you would watch SCTV and you'd be a huge fan of SCTV, and then she she disappeared, right? And then all of a sudden, you see a movie. And it's this movie and she's in it. It was like the most joyful thing. And it's like nowadays, you know, TV actors and movie actors, they move around. They do all that kind of stuff. At that time, it was just like, oh, my God, thank God. Catherine O'Hara has a job. She didn't see her for two or three years. And then then it like she appears in this and it's like, oh, and, and that's another kind of thing where it's like hipster, cool inside. Because, again, you didn't have that huge you know internet culture at all you just yep. you just had these little whatever happened to them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and then three years later she does beetlejuice right and i think yeah. um is that is that i'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember that episode uh she ended up like marrying the dude like the, the stunt coordinator or something i can't she remember like yeah. to yeah. the set 
production designer. What's his name? Really famous guy. One of the best production designers. Oh, what's his name? I can't remember. There's a great, uh, and I know we're not talking about the deleted scenes, but since I just got the Blu-ray, I'm going to talk about the deleted scenes, I guess. There's a great little improv bit on the stairway she does. It just shows, like, how much it's just like, oh, I could have used a little more of that character, actually. That was great. (laughs) But I feel like like if if they hadn't cut that out, it would have been like, why did he even go up? Yeah, why did you go upstairs? (laughs) Exactly. He is so out there. Because he makes a lot of dumb decisions, like, or just, or just like. It was like, there's no way. You know, it's like he would have walked. He would have left. Decisions not guided extremely by logic, probably is the nice way to put it. I think it's good to cut it. I'm actually really happy though that Catherine O'Hara has like outlet has like had a pretty good career comeback, if you will. I mean, there are certain people, like certain creators, who want to try to revive people's careers, and Ryan Murphy is known for doing that with a lot of actresses and actors who we haven't heard of forever and help revitalize their career. But with Catherine O'Hara, she's pretty well known, like in in Canada, to say the least. And CTV alone, Jesus, I mean, so like I. But I found out about Shit's Creek. I was like, "Wait, it's the mom from Home Alone." And then I was, you know, watching the movie. I was like, oh, "I was like, oh my gosh, she's been around even before Beetlejuice." Yeah. Well, she's a, like Best in Show is like one of my favorite comedies of like all time, right? Like I love Best in Show. Waiting for Guffman's great. I mean, all of that. She's she's a stone badass. So now Gr- Griffin Dunn, he's really not known for much outside of just this film and the American Werewolf. Those right? are the big he, ones. He's been in yeah. like. Yeah. He's like a up. character actor, but like he, yeah. he's a that guy. star. Yeah, yeah. he's a, he's was, basically um, one of the people who should be who would be striking right now. Like, oh, you recognize me? You don't know my name? Oh, I'm mm-hmm. that guy from that show or from that movie. Well, he, he's uh, in the uh, Madonna movie, if I remember right. I don't know why I remember that, but <laughs> he was also they also brought him in for oh, yeah. uh, Secession. He was the the therapist that uh, that's doing like the, the oh, group yeah. family therapy session with them, and then knocks his teeth out in the pool. Yeah, yeah. He was in uh, that Wes Anderson movie too. Sorry, pulling people out. No, no, no. Yeah, but Succession's been great with that. Peter Regert, who was in this great movie called Local Hero, like forty years later. Local Hero. Succession. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's an old episode of ours. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before Conan, I wasn't even on the show then. Yeah, it's it's VC. (laughs) But I love, I love that, I love that movie though. Yeah. Also, this was before uh, because Roseanne Arquette comes from the Arquette family, and this was this came out eighty five. So this was like a year before her sister Patricia would be in Nightmare on Elm Street three. So you know the Arquettes were starting to make a bit of an imprint, like in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Another another movie this kind of reminds me of, uh, not because of like the the plot of it or anything, but because of like the kind of detour it takes in somebody's career, like True Romance, a little bit, like the same Mm -hmm. kind of uh vibes in 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 the sense of like i don't know it's it's funny that like tarantino wrote that and then scorsese directed this and it feels like it's a departure in both cases from like what their careers have had been at that point and would be yeah although um i mean uh this also reminded me of um joe versus the volcano you know a bit of that uh It is. It's. it's it, I think yeah. what you're tapping into is kind of the. It's the malaise comedy. of yuppiness. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. But like Fine. a dark screwball. Comedy, I'll allow it. Like flipping that that formula of screwball comedy. Go and dictate. Yeah. I mean, it goes it goes in a very different direction that this movie does, but you know. Oh, does it? The the term for that the term for that genre that um movies like that are part of is the nightmare yuppie cycle. That's the. Yeah. I was gonna say and, it was in the intro, right? Yeah, you put, yeah. You yeah. put that in. The intro. So it, it's a mixture between like um, classic like screwball comedy and like kind of neo noir uh, 
things. It always has to have, obviously, like a yuppie at the center of it and be about that kind of um, nonstop malaise and, like, boredom of, of that uh, circle, which this movie does perfectly because, you know, there's kind of the underworld aspect to it yeah, right well, there. Yeah, well, there's a little bit yeah. of that with, like, uh, Blue Velvet, right? You know, where Colin McLaughlin's oh, yeah. character, you know, that's 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 a thing. There's Into the Night. That That's a Jeff, that Jeff Goldblum movie. That's, like, around this. John Landis, I think. I can't remember. But anyway. Yeah, there's a there's Who also directed American Werewolf and <laughs> yeah oh that's right yeah 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 Miracle yeah. Mile that's kind of an obscure oh, one, but, favorite yeah. that's one of my favorites too yeah definitely I I I kind of think of them as similar Miracle Mile yeah. but Miracle Mile's not as funny no it's yeah yeah it's, it's good though this this is I think. It's such a fine line when you have things that are like with dramedies, I guess they call them. Like, 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 how do you classify after hours? Because that's one of the reasons why like people kind of were confused by it. Because it's like, oh, what? This is not. It was ahead of its time. It, exactly. It, it's more tonally. It would work more as like a again, other than the fact that you couldn't do like any of it now because like a cell phones and all that. It but tonally, it's closer to a movie piece. now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean the the whole uh, yeah period piece, sure yeah. Well, I mean again, like, um, good time is basically millennial after hours, so we've that's been proven. The the and, whole like <laughs> like night where stuff keeps going wrong, I feel like uh, is, is like a very it's a very popular uh, genre. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like the the formula because well, it's an easy film to shoot yeah. too, right? You don't. <laughs> You don't and need, and a like, lot huge of lavish are, sets. Aren't they typically like uh, LA based? Uh, a lot of those kind of like uh, bad nights out in the town kind of thing. Um, at least for, mm. for for a minute, and then uh, you know this this one seems unique. Are you thinking about like, dude, where's my car or something? I'm trying to. I don't. What are you? Trying uh, to what, um, <laughs> man, uh, I was thinking it's like kind of like a New York thing, but there there I guess there is some LA centric ones. Yeah, I mean, there's a few that I'm thinking of. Like, uh, was it Two Days in the Valley? I think it is. Oh, Two Days in the Valley. Sure. Yeah. Uh, does that really kind of? Nah, okay. I, guess, I guess there's like. Well, I don't think they a film. I guess it's, it's fine. Supposed to be, it's, I guess yeah. it's supposed to be New York City, but there's like the Seth Rogen Christmas one. That, that's like the like that's when that genre. Wait, the one with Barbara Streisand in it? No, that's like, but that's like when I feel like when that genre jumped the shark is when uh, it was <laughs> Seth, it was like Seth it's Seth Rogen and uh, Gordon Joseph Gordon Levitt and oh yeah, and they're like running around on Christmas or whatever. They're like it's our last. I feel like that's when that genre is like all right, we've had way too many like one night with things going wild well okay so how about like all right let's go more obscurus how about naked by like mike lee right like i don't know if, you know I, i'm a big mike lee fan i don't know if anyone else oh, here man. Is. that's a brutal I saw one. that when it came out that was wow how old is that movie it's pretty old <laughs> it's old i think it's older than uh barely remember it yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's a uh, I think, Criterion, uh challenge this year so so i'll, I'll try to get to it or eyes wide shut Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we should, it's got that. Yeah. And uh, under the Christmas. Silver Lake kind of qualifies even a little. Another bit. Christmas yeah. movie, you know. <laughs> also, L.A. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Garfield's lost his tan, so I'm a little sad about that. So, but whatever. Let the record show. <laughs> oh, would this be considered one of Warriors in the in the chat? Warriors getting some love. Yep, <laughs> yeah, Warriors know, is, so. is the single night movie. Would After yeah. Hours be considered Scorsese's most underrated film that he's directed? I think I, so. I mean, I yeah. have to say, I had a, a a person I worked with, a, another faculty member who was doing a Scorsese class and did a film series 
in town here and uh i said to him oh are you gonna show after hours and like after hours what's after hours and this is a yeah. film you know person you know and it's like and, and he watched it i said well okay i think it's his best film but i've been told that there's something wrong with me i think it's hilarious. <laughs> and then he watched it and then wrote me back and said it was great but yes it is correct there is something wrong with you you know because i, <laughs> I, love you I find it funny he, he did not find it funny but he thought it was good, but it was, yeah, yeah. I think, I think even people who think they love Martin Scorsese and are Scorsese completists, right? It, it just gets left off the table movie. when they're talking yeah. about it. I mean, cause yeah. there's, there's like, there's like the Dylan movie and like Glass Waltz and like the Rolling Thunder Review and all that, but that's like a different category. I, yeah. I think like the only thing I can think of that's kind of been like lost to time in the same way is probably, I don't know, Color of Money maybe? Like, I don't know. Oh, but I like yeah. this movie way, I mean, way better than Color of Money. Yeah, Color of Money, I, I don't I don't even know if I, I think I might have boycotted that film. Yeah, it's, it's a. I said, even though it's a Martin Scorsese film, I'm not going to go see it. I think I that's just don't find Mean Streets, be... I mean, Mean Streets is kind of like similarly like, what, what? Because he always gets left out of the conversation when people are thinking of like, you know, Goodfellas and Casino. Yeah, I mean, the King of Comedy too, I think. is yeah. Until Joker came out where it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is like basically a blatant ripoff of King of Comedy and people yeah. are like, what's King That's of Comedy? Why, that like, was the whole inspiration. That's why they had, they brought Robert De Niro on. Well, yeah, it's like literally. Get, they were trying to get yeah. him, they were trying to get Scorsese to direct it and he said he would. And then he, you know, dropped out at the last second to go film, yeah. like he was working on The Irishman. But uh, the whole and then there are all these think pieces that like the only way you can make a movie for an adult is if you have like a superhero or villain in this case be in it and blah 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 this and or that. like all but, the worries of anarchy happening. With well, this yeah, like, but specifically every time there's a Joker movie, there's a warning, and I'm like, oh my god. But it's but specifically what I what I liked about that discourse, which was literally I didn't like almost anything about it, is that it brought King and Comedy back into the conversation, yeah, and then yeah. people rediscover that movie. It's like, oh yeah, this is basically like. You know, they, where a, a large portion of of that film comes from. I mean, it's not like a blatant ripoff, but it's pretty. You know, pretty and I just have to say, the King of Comedy, the the Clash are in the King of Comedy. So that's true. Yeah. They're wow. Like, they like yeah. heckle him on the street. They're like I sitting outside about that. somewhere, and they uh, Mick Jones and Joe Strummer. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen them in in a while. I haven't seen it in a few years. I think Forrest, you just rewatched that, right? Yeah. You wait. Like, so I so that's the one Martin Scorsese movie that I'm always like, I need to watch this and haven't. And I finally watched it uh, uh, like a couple of days ago, and and I enjoyed it. It was it was different than. You're uh, not gonna watch I The thought. Aviator? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it recently, but that's because I put on. Uh, was a good year for film. I, I put on. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for smoking, and for some reason, it played. Um, <laughs> like King of Comedy. I'm like. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of um, whatever the guy's the comedian's name uh, in that movie. Um, Jerry Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lewis in this in the smoking movie. What's going on? <laughs> I was very confused for a long time. Oh, it was a, the other Jerry movie play. Yeah. Okay, all right, okay. I was confused uh, in that you speaking just now. So yeah, no, no. I mean, just imagine me. <laughs> yeah. Sandra Sandra Bernhard in in uh in in the King of Comedy acts the fuck out of that like she's really uh, good she's, yeah. she's always very, usually very very close to the line on a rape scene like mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know like as that as that goes on she's she absolutely crushes that whole thing where like she flips from that uh like kind of flirty like oh I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing to like screaming about like her her parents and how they like you know they're they're like they didn't uh, understand her or something and then she goes right back to like. You know, like trying to kiss him through the tape. I feel yeah. like that's like a, I feel like that's like one of the best acted scenes that Scorsese's gotten out of any uh, <laughs> out of anybody. 
Um, we're, we're debating like what's Scorsese's most underrated film. That's gonna be a long clip for you, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is this is uh, another uh, part of the the uh, Fran Lebowitz thing. They're talking about how everything's dangerous in this movie. Danger. And, uh, I, I thought I thought that that's that's Do cool. That. You know, Danger in, Zone. Well, in, in the wake of Wrong you movie. know uh, talking like talking about Scorsese talking about um uh Bo is afraid it's kind of interesting because that's a movie where like yeah. that's kind of dialed up to like a 10 right like everything is super fucking dangerous because you're in the mind of like someone with so much uh anxiety that you know that you're you're affected by it everything that he touches in the movie becomes dangerous even the keys being thrown down to him <laughs> and struggle right. with those eight frames where the keys were coming at the camera and his point of view where you just think for a second, it's going to hit me. It was very difficult to get. We finally got it. And so even the keys are dangerous. Some people would put them like in a puppet, like <laughs> or a doll's head or something like that. Yeah. You know, like a decapitated doll. Right. And that's the key. That's me already. I'm feeling funny about going into the plate. Listen, I owe you an apology. Uh, there's just no excuse for leaving the way I did. And I'm sorry. Throughout the entire movie, no matter what disaster confronts Griffin, he's always kind of polite. Well, yeah. You know, he's always, like, more polite than most men in that era would have been. And uh, I gather there's something wrong or you have some burns or something. And, and uh, I, I just couldn't handle that. I'm sorry. I... I don't know what happened to me. In that way, it makes it kind of contemporary where he's afraid. I don't want to be misconstrued. Right. Like, you know, well, may well, I? May can I? Can I, I invite you? Can I invite you yes. to leave? Yes. I mean, and I, when I was watching that, I thought that is more now. Yeah. You know, yeah. than my memory of then. Well, I like I like that his character was that way then because he wasn't meant to be there in the first place. Right. And that proves it. it because really he's always it. like, you know, I mean, to me, that proves it. That's what I liked about Paul because he tried to be reasonable, but there's no such thing as that kind of reason, really, especially in there, down there, you know. Because it has no, no one knows what you're doing. That's right. He, for all they know, he could be up to something. Right. That's right. And also, that's why he becomes the guy that they think has been robbing the apartments. And he's constantly misjudged. Yes. Just a guy? Yeah. He meets up with Horst, Will Patton. He meets up with Kiki, the great Linda Fiorentino. They have their own agenda. They got their own lives. He doesn't belong there. He sees the rope on, on Linda. And at one point in time, I told, I told Griffin, I said, say, you know, why these guys must be sailors. <laughs> <laughs> these guys sailors? This work, so elaborate. Must have taken them hours. How'd they get in? He's so out of it. And um, in my mind, he doesn't belong there. He's intruding. They're not crazy. He doesn't belong anywhere down there with those people. No, no that's true. Yeah. No, no, no. You walk in a room and people are in there and all of a sudden they stop talking. Well, they're talking about you. Obviously. Yeah. That's where they stop. <laughs> that's where they stop. The whole movie is that moment. That's what the movie is. I mean, Paul Hackett believed people would help him because he needed them to. Yeah. Belief always comes from desperation. Desperation. That was okay. the other thing I told told uh, told uh, Griffin. At one point, he was begging John Hurd to give him the keys or whatever. And I said, I'm not going to stop shooting until you convince me you need those keys. 
because I don't believe it yet. Now he was great, and he did it. I said, I really, you really, really need them, and you need him to give them to you. Stay here. Wait, where are you going? Where are you going? To get your keys. Okay, thank you, thank you. One has to understand, too, it's not literal, the film. You know, it's almost like an 18th century novel where, you know, uh, or picaresque novel where crazy things happen and, uh, you know, it's Lawrence Stern or Fielding or that sort of thing uh, where it's heightened in a way. When you look at the film, you have to be open to playing the game. So if you say, well, he could have gone off the corner, he could have walked up town, you're not playing the game. Yes, and also, you're not in it. You're outside of it. You're outside of it. Yeah. You know, I mean. Go in it. Yeah, if you're in it, you do feel it. Yeah, I think. exactly. The humor played better when the film played faster. Oh, I hear him. I hear him. That's him. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Get stuck in the hair. It's so great. It's <laughs> uh, a problem back then, wasn't it? So there's there's a story about the the keys. Uh, I'll, I'll Real quick, I think it's a great observation though that a lot of people, the commentary in this, oh well, why you know why is he doing all this stuff? Because he's like in the moment of like this escalating night where he's getting like he's like lack of sleep and just like you know elevated uh, adrenaline the entire time. Like it's really easy to be like if it was me, I simply would have walked home. All right, fine. Good for yeah. you, but like that's not the point. The point is this movie is like an escalation of a certain. It'd be type a boring of movie. movie if you just walked out. Yeah, but somebody did the math. That that walk is at least an hour and a half. Hour. <laughs> from In the rain. The two locations. Yeah, like during like a hard rainstorm too, and right. it's like okay, yeah. come on, man. Right, sure. Oh, um, no umbrella or raincoat or nothing. So this is this is uh, Griffin. And he thinks he's going to get laid too. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, that's a that's a very important factor that we have not addressed yet. She could have been faking her death. No, <laughs> um, this is uh this is uh Griffin Dunn talking about the process of shooting the keys, and like on a bungee cord that almost like. Yeah, this up. is this is. I found this very compelling, very, very interesting, like, because it was sort of like you think about things with like modern filmmaking and like there's a million ways you could do it now. Right. Do a good drone shot or GoPro on whatever. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who cares? But uh, yeah, it, this is some real frontier medicine, like as they say. <laughs> um, so w was it a was it a technically challenging shoot? Well, it was the I think the lowest budgeted movie Marty had made certainly since mean streets um and that was you know the confines of the uh, uh of making the movie you know as he was in a bit of a director's jail and he was important to him to prove that he could prove to others that he could uh, make a picture for a price and uh so we there was a, a a union we couldn't even afford an ia union um there was a a, a for smaller movies, there was a, a union then called Nabit. Um, and we um, we crewed up out of that. But um, out of that crew, well, one of the people we, we turned Marty on to was who shot our, the uh, Amy's in our previous movie, Baby It's You, that John Sales directed, was Michael Ballhouse. That was it. That was Michael's first movie in America, having worked with Fastbender so many years. And so we introduced them, and we know that was a long um, collaboration. And uh, and out of Nabit came the costume designer, and I've still got a little uh, COVID brain, so forgive me, I can't. <laughs> I'm just blanking on her name. Uh, but anyway, they went on to do like five movies afterwards. He did everything from 
the Edith Wharton to the movie he did to Age of Innocence. Um, Rita is her first name, by the way. Anyway, so he met he met and, and established relations with, with, with people through this movie that he went on to work with on, on many other movies. But uh, he also um, shot listed the entire movie before we shot it. And there would be um, uh, drawings of what the shots would be on the back of every call page. Uh, so we are on the call sheet. So um, the crew always knew what they were going to be shooting. They knew exactly what equipment to have on the truck. They knew they didn't even need to be told what 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 uh, a shot to set up for next. So it was very, very smooth, even though the con the camera work was quite complicated. There were tracks all over the place. Um, the camera hmm. never stopped moving. And uh, if I wasn't uh, running down the street, uh, I was running down hallways and around corners. And there was only one Steadicam shot, the final shot in the movie. All the rest was all on tracks. Um, so I would be running or uh, and I'd have to always step over the tracks and then round back around. So it was kind of a bit of a ballet act for me as well. What about that shot when Linda Fiorentino throws the keys down to you? That shot, my my cousin Tony Dunn was the key grip on the on the movie. And, key grip, uh, I get he it. He had designed um, to get that shot. He had designed a, the the camera to be held by bungee cords, and it would literally they dropped it out the out the window from that actual thing, and it would come toward me holding up. And the idea was it was it was going to bounce, get very close to my face, and then and then fly back up. <laughs> um, they actually went ahead with this. I stood under the bungee cord. Thank God the <laughs> bungee cord broke uh, as it hit before it could hit my face and landed on the on the uh, pavement. And people went, "Oh my God! Oh my God! What? What? You know, my cousin almost had me killed." <laughs> I think he even said like he was ready for a second take too, if I remember correctly. On the uh... Oh, yeah. Again, the Criterion yes, collection. The Dunn family, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what was that, Rick? Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. He was ready to go for another one, and Scorsese was like, it's no, like, uh, let's, maybe just, let's just do You one. might die. <laughs> that might break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it hasn't come out yet, but uh, there's going to be a movie called Hellraiser 3, and you're going to be the <laughs> camera guy in that film if we do a second take. Uh, and and uh, I love that one of these things, one of these features, it, it actually shows like the shot list that he had that he's talking about, where it's like literally just every single shot's like meticulously planned out, which is kind of a, to be clear, that's an atypical thing to give to actors. Like, they're, that's not a thing that normally happens uh, with a, when you're seeing a screenplay. So you don't see that. Well, it's not a thing that usually happens with Scorsese's. Scorsese's. Oh, <laughs> uh, Marty. I call him Marty. I don't because know. Because he yeah. was, uh, it like, the last few projects he'd had, the the price of it was like ballooning out every single time. Yeah. Right? Like, um, yeah. so he was getting known as one of those, and, and you don't want to be known as one of those guys that can't, uh, you know, film to a budget. 
as kind of Hollywood budgets are getting tighter. It's no longer, you know, the age of like uh, New Hollywood where it's like, oh, go out there with a camera. Like they used to tell me in, um, in college, like go out there with a camera and get something. And like, you know what I mean? Like come on back and, and, and you know, make sure you got something. Like, no, like this is more of a, a regimented thing. And in order to survive in that new era of, um, in order to have in that new era of Hollywood where, you know, things are regimented, like he kind of was trying to show, like, this is almost like a resume film. Like he's like, see, I can keep things, uh, you know, under budget. Yeah. Keep things uh, all planned out meticulously. I'm not. Now let me make my goddamn Jesus movie. Thank you. Well, it's, <laughs> it's kind of the director's version of uh, when, like, an actress is known as like being difficult on set, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which means she heaven, has opinions. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because well, uh, always, Heaven's, Heaven's Gate came out. Yeah. And, Heaven's uh, Gate. Yeah. yeah. Those '70s guys, they all kind of had their blowouts. You know, one from the heart. Coppola's. You know, one from the heart. It's it's. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember what Brian De Palma's blowout was. You know, it's like they it's all blowout. Yeah, blowout. Well, maybe it was blowout actually. That's, yeah, that's yeah, actually. <laughs> it was totally unintentional, but it might have been that because that 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 didn't do that well. But and it had a star in it. But I feel like blowout is. But they all had these big budget films, and then Hollywood was changing, and then yeah. they all kind of blew it in a way. But you know, they spent a huge amount of money and then didn't have hits, and then everything collapsed. So Coppola was doing. Um, what is it called? Uh, Rumblefish uh, and uh, Rumblefish. Yeah, what? Uh, and, the heart uh, and, um, Sometimes I well, forget Francis Ford Coppola directed the Dracula movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that right. was when yeah. he came back. Kind of, he started getting more money, but it was like he had his tiny films too. And um, well, Apocalypse Now but, came out one year, uh, one year before Heaven's Gate. Yeah, because Apocalypse Now was 1979. He was uh, like, was if you've ever friend. watched that, um, the documentary, like the Heart of Darkness or whatever, of darkness, where yeah. um, he he was taking like uh, leans out on his house. Oh yeah, like, he, he was he was in fucking like the Philippines because they were shooting in the Philippines, as Oliver Stone did later, uh, kind of doing the exact same kind of shoot with uh, or trying to with platoon um like he was he was in the philippines trying to take like uh military equipment he was taking leans out on his house his wife yeah. was like going back and forth from the philippines to america to like you know talk to like mortgage people he was like out, out in the jungle that was one year before heaven's gate kind of crashed the whole party but i i have to believe that like uh, apocalypse now which he was funding himself so it wasn't like the studios being like well i mean it was the studios pulling their hair out and like screaming but like not in the same way that, you know, a fully funded by the studio's uh, film would have been. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and it's fears earlier, and I mentioned one from the heart. By the way, also with Terry Garr. Right. That's, that, like, uh, I mean, that's, like, made, like, like at the time, it's, like, a huge, it was, like, $26 million movie, and it made, like, didn't even, like, clear, like, a million. Like, it was, like, I, just, I, it's, like, I don't, I mean, I don't even think it lasted a week or two in the theater. No, it, it was, <laughs> it was, um, like. Yeah, they all lost, and, and that's the thing about Apocalypse Now, too. It was not that big of a success when it initially came out it was kind of viewed as a halfway thing heaven's gate definitely was kind of the bluff there's a great book called uh, final cut which is all about just how that spun out of control and uh yeah kind of kind of put the nail in the coffin for that era of these 70s filmmakers being able to you know get anything you know get any kind of budget i I like that he that scorsese in after hours like put out the shot composition because to me some of it it seems like almost an homage would almost have a piss take on hitchcock like there's stuff that's like like straight up like oh that's like from marnie (laughs) and like like and uh even the score the howard shore the howard shore score kind of reminds me of like like classic hitchcock stuff and it's sort of like his like his sort of like take on that 
and uh and and he goes into it with the in the Fran Leibowitz uh conversation. He kind of yeah. goes into like that classic kind of over the top Hitchcock um you know thing. I, I I don't remember if it's in the if it's in another one of the clips that I grabbed for this, but he he talks about the uh, over the top like Hitchcock is like listen you know you you have to be able to sell this and uh you know the audience has to be immersed in it as long as the audience stays immersed in it. Um, you know, as long as like that emotional core, I guess, resonates, you can sell them on pretty much anything, uh, yeah. you know, but, but the second that kind of slips away, they're going to go home and they're going to be, you know, getting a sandwich or something in the fridge and be like, you know, I don't think that this could have actually happened in the movie and this couldn't have actually happened. Well, now, now I feel like our line for that, our threshold is so fucking thin. We have like Neil deGrasse Tyson now. So he <laughs> to be like, well, actually <laughs> the science doesn't quite line up in, in this, this, yeah, this like, shut up. But, nobody uh, cares but, let, let us enjoy like, the movie <laughs> but but you have that like uh he, he's thinking through that and i think very inspired by hitchcock in that sense because yeah i mean but like but like in, in a way that's honoring it but also sort of like yeah but check this out you know like yeah, i can do it too and you know? i think it goes back to that idea of screwball comedy because there's i i love the movie yeah. um what's up doc but it is really kind of just a lift of classic you know screwball comedies whereas what Scorsese does in this is he he uses all of the elements and he talks about it in the commentary track about these screwball comedies, but he uses all those elements but creates you know something unique with them and and that's you know I'm, I'm the Tarantino problem like where where it becomes xeroxing or lifting you know yeah. as opposed to you know creating some kind of synthesis from your influences and that's that's what I like about Scorsese a lot of times is he's definitely referencing Hitchcock or he's inspired by it or you know screwball comedies but he's he's messing around with those bits and pieces and building something new as opposed to just kind of lifting stuff yeah and and it's i mean i because there's but then it's funny to begin to see something like like Obo was afraid uh where it's sort of like oh no that's definitely like takes massive influence from this but like only the, the super stressful parts <laughs> right like seeing bits and pieces of it being like cannibalized and uh, and like even in uncut gems too same deal right uh, but again that's more of a hell definitely more of a hell of his own making uh for, for that film but like it's interesting to me that like the screwball comedy is like a, a, a streaming television show now right we just don't see them as movies we talked about this with kindler on the uh, barb and star episode it's just you don't see a lot of tentpole like comedies that are like you know in, in that vein like i probably the last successful one was maybe bridesmaids i don't know like i can't think of a one that really yeah. fits and that's a shame because yeah. i think that uh that's probably one of my like more favorite genres and definitely like as much as i love like the <laughs> you know the vim vendor stuff and like you know a crying lonely child blah 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 all that stuff i love that too but it is nice to laugh once in a while, isn't it? I mean, even if it's at like you know someone's expense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what this movie does, I think that Bo is afraid very much does not do, is this movie uh, lulls you into like over and over again, right? Like you're kind of lulled into yeah. these scenes. Um, I think like the diner scene when he first goes there is a great example, and it's incredibly Scorsese. Like uh, it, it's that you know because he go he walks in and they're they're playing like the old uh, you know art like R and B music from like the fifties or whatever like. You know, the, the kind of stuff that he would play in Mean Streets and like there's kind of the scene and he's kind of getting his bearings and it's almost like this is an oasis in the thing right before it just hits you right back to the exact same. Yeah, like, like a dump truck. Just like, yeah. like <laughs> it feels it feels like a lot of this movie almost feels like he's walking into these um 
into these Norman Rockwell paintings almost, but like, but like there's a story, but you're walking in. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but you're, you're like kind of, I think where you're going with this, you're dropping into a lot, a bigger story, but you're only seeing part of it. Like the whole thing yeah. with, um, uh, Dick Miller's, uh, character. Right. And, and, and you're like, well, okay, clearly him and the Rosanna Arquette character, like they know each other. Like, and, and it's, and he also gets to see the titular line, which of course is always a boon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but like you get, it's like, no, there's, there's like, this is a fully realized person that like goes to this diner and has conversations with this dude. And like, she's, he's probably seen her out with like the other guy and this and that. And it's just, everything is like this river of experience. And then he's coming in honestly as an unwelcome outsider often like, <laughs> like, or like partially welcome or, or, or hesitantly welcome. Like Linda Fiorentina, uh, like definitely like, whatever you're here yeah well you know okay you know like you can help out with this paper mission what oh okay sure you know and she's like you're like, like on the phone with her like come on come back like yeah just, you just let some random guy into my uh you know my studio i i also think i mean this this movie is kind of a masterpiece in in what would kind of become like npc dialogue like the you know oh and all the side quests like and all that it, yeah absolutely <laughs> it's I like so good I see so good. Yeah. Well, gang, just, gang, gang, gang. It's just every conversation he has is with a, a person that's doing something else in like in their own life. Yeah, like like that whole like, the thing with the bartender, right? Where, where's yeah. he's like like hey, like oh, there's been this crime wave recently. I don't know if I turned the alarm on. I sure wish someone would go to my apartment and yeah. do it for me. And it's like si it's side quests every single time <laughs> he goes on a side quest. Then he sees the sculpture and like completely forgets about the like he's distracted by yet side another quest side, quest. side quest. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey! <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of Existence, Cronenberg. You know, oh, yeah. where it's literally a game, you know, kind of mechanics, and you don't understand. Yeah, the the actors are oh, they are NPCs, right? They're they're playing NPCs in a way, right? And With controllers that have orifices, yeah. of course, because it's Cronenberg. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. With that added bonus. Cronenberg on a Cronenberg. This movie, though, it's something like uh, like final fantasy or something like one of those games where you're kind of walking through like a village but it's like you know but it's, it's like soho like but it's that version yeah. of it where it's like everybody final is fantasy, kind of soho edition hey like you have to go up to the person like press a or whatever it's like get them to speak they're not gonna and then they have like a, a exclamation yeah, just like frantically walking around and like blocking you from getting <laughs> into the end even though like you're down to one hit point yeah, there's like a decision tree of how you can react, and then he always picks the wrong one, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. also like it's just like Terry Gar uh, having like the thing where she's having the fucking existential crisis about her job, and is yeah. like, you know, help me, like I, I need to quit my job, and then she runs back up to him, she's like, I quit my job, and it's yeah. just like a, a she's having her own her own night, her own like problems. Yeah, it's going got nothing on. to do with him, yeah. and and it gets, I think it hits its peak when uh he, with Catherine O'Hara, and I think um, she just wanted some dick too, like like you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think it hits its peak with Catherine O'Hara when he's trying to have the conversation about his, his night being terrible. And she's, and like, she's just yeah. having a different conversation yeah. entirely. <laughs> That's so <laughs> hilarious. They're not on the same same wavelength right now. Like, what's she's, going on here? She's like, she's like yes, I, yes, I drive an ice cream truck, but that also means that I have a Class D license in New York so State, good. which is a, which is a, um, you know, I, that also means I have a Class D license in New York State. 
which, which you know, which is okay. But driving an ice cream truck, you know, you, you think that I wouldn't do that or, or that, you know, that it would suck, but you know, it actually is. And he's like trying to have he, his own, but he doesn't even feign interest in what she's saying. Like, no, no, I think you're mistaken. I was, I was complaining about my problems. It's basically what yeah. says, which is again, doubling down on Dickory at every moment in time. Right. You know, like low grade yeah. Dickory, affable Dickory, but Dickory nonetheless. Yeah. I, which I also, uh, I, I love I love the the guy that's like I've never I've never done this before, but he's standing on the corner and it seems like he, he it seems like he has done this before. Like it seems like he he's looking to have like a gay experience and he's like, Yeah, oh all right, you can come to my apartment. We we can yeah. do this, but there's some things I won't do. He's like, I'm just telling you now, there's some yeah. things I won't do. And <laughs> no 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 feet stuff, no foot stuff, sorry. The thing about like not listening or not communicating, that's that's my uh the partner Rose's uh I kind of basic single synopsis of the film is just basically he, he doesn't listen to, he's being punished for not listening to people. So right at the beginning when he doesn't listen to Bronson Pinchot and it's just, it's all about how he, he doesn't listen to people and it's, this is his punishment. And I just want to note yeah. that it took us an hour and 15 minutes before he brought up Bronson Pinchot. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I had it on my list. Can yeah. I? Well, so if we're bringing a Bronson Pinchot, we got to talk about The Office and the fact that, like, I, I think this ending is so perfect. And I was astounded to learn very, very recently on this rewatch that it was like, oh, yeah, he didn't have an ending for this. Yeah. And, like, some of the proposed endings, it was like, no, that's terrible. Don't do that. That's that's the, uh, awful. Birth. Yeah, the I was like, no, like, that's. No, it's a West Side no, Highway. No, no, no. Yeah, that's that's yeah. bad. That's a bad idea. Well, but like the, the whole thing there is that they didn't think that they could uh, just do this as a self-contained unit, right? Like the original yeah. idea was this ending, and it was like, well, I had this ending where you know he falls out of the truck and he's right back at his office again, uh, you know, just kind of miraculously, and it's like this the nonstop labyrinth that he's kind of and and they have this this like the moment where like the the mouse hits the. Um, you know, like the mouse trap or whatever that she has surrounding her beds. Like it's yeah. the same kind of thing. Like he's he's the mouse in this nonstop labyrinth that he's kind of uh, stuck. You know, trying to do a decision tree and kind of and so they're like, well, I don't think that you know, I don't think that we could pull that off because you know maybe that would be too far. Maybe people would you know, oh, he just happens to go to his uh, office. But if you're if you're already kind of in this situation that's so absurdist and so comedic and like you're already in in this kind of, um, you know, like we, we've bought it up to this point. Like, yeah. of course he arrives back at his office and it's this self-contained story, right? Like that's the only way that this movie can end. Well, but it wasn't even, it wasn't a random suggestion. It was Michael Powell. Yeah, Michael Powell. Who was like, uh, for the cinephiles in the audience, which of which you can only imagine there are a few, like the Red Shoes, Black Narcissist, Peeping Tom. Peeping I mean, like, Tom. Yeah. Jesus, like that, like, you know, he, he him and, uh, was it a uh, Pressburger, right? Uh, Emmerich Pressburger. Yeah. Um, uh, just like a real like notable filmmaker from a different era, right? You know, I mean, he was he was from an earlier era for sure. But like, yeah. I think he's was just like he should finish up back at work, and then everyone's like, no, no, no. Yeah, Scorsese <laughs> was even like, no, that's stupid, and that's like, oh, okay, the guy, yeah, he's been making movies for fifty years. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. just dismiss him outright. Sure, and then they're idea. like, ah, uh, yeah. maybe he should. Well, the, the only way that this Maybe movie possibly works... Is hey, guys had a great idea. She ended up at work. <laughs> he's, the, the only way that this movie possibly works is if it's a self-contained like labyrinth, right? Like, if he gets yeah. to the, the end of it and he's right back at the beginning again and he's kind of just uh, undergone this whole thing where there's only one entrance and one exit, that's the only way that this works. It's well, and I love like, that it ends with those shots where it's kind of like the the, the, the sweeping... I don't remember the, the, like, the exact 
name of it, but like the like it ends with like everything about that that idiot is like I this could not possibly have ended any other because the whole time you're like okay he's now in the the statue. There's a mob looking for him. Like, like where could he possibly go? You know, like it's like, where, yeah, it's, it's insane. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is also, uh, it's you know, the, the Wizard of Oz. Like they, they're referencing the Wizard of Oz throughout it, and it's like uh, that's kind of his. Yeah, arriving back film in film inspired by the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that's that's, and I I would I would like to hand it to us for uh, going the the entire show and not mentioning the surrender Dorothy. Uh, well, I, I had that. I, I had it in, uh, in, the, in the in the intro. Everyone did, but, but me. <laughs> but uh, uh, which which is amazing. But also, like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. So, so Wizard of Oz, right? It's going back to the black and white. It's going back. It's a reset. It's going back to the, the beginning of the narrative. Yeah, and, and it's also it's the same kind of. I mean, in Oz, right? Like, there's the gates, and he goes yeah. out of the in and out of the Golden Gates, and the you know that's yep. like his uh, back to the. Whatever, back to Kansas, I guess. Thing back to being a literal word processor because that was yeah. the name of that job. <laughs> <laughs> that well, and it's, it's that, that's like, like what? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I took the last in high school. I took computers was the name of the class and uh, typing, and I think it was the last year that they had typing uh, as like an elective. <laughs> but <I> took computers, <laughs> amazing, and yeah. typing. And it those was are... called uh, when I took it. It was just called typing. Yeah, we didn't even. <laughs> yeah, and I was one of two people who was there Same because I typing. used computers. Everybody else was learning how to do secretarial work. Yeah, exactly. And it was. It was like, hey, I've got seventy-two words per minute. Oh, okay, great. That's yeah. That's... We had to do all that. Uh, the, well, and so the mob scene, right? Which I love, and I had forgotten. I forget the escalation of the mob scene with, with you know, Terry Garrick putting up the uh, <laughs> putting up the flyers and it being a callback to her saying, like, oh, I can get all these free copies at my job, you know, where it's like, the, oh, it's all there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him and it works at the coffee shop. It's She's beautiful. sketching him. She's yeah. mentioned the co- it's all. And you're like, I mean, it's oh. like, like literally like every line of dialogue of Chekhov something, you know, that that's yeah. to be Chekhov's copier. <laughs> Yeah, and and then like and then the mob is like riding on the Mister Softy truck, and and then, and that's very much like I feel like uh, that's another Bo is afraid ism uh, for that too. Where you just see this yeah. like escalation of things is getting more and more nuts as time goes on. I think that's my favorite moment: the Chekhov's hamburger, right? Where where he opens the <laughs> hamburger, and then like 15, 20 minutes later, the guy you know, and he comes over, puts it down on the thing. Down, oh. There's your cold I think hamburger. That's my favorite moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're going slightly mad as the you know as the night progresses. <laughs> well, and also it shows that there's, you know, it may seem tossed off and extemporaneous for him, but this is there's repercussions to all of these actions, and almost everything has to do because uh, of something with his own actions and his own again lack of interest in what the other people that he interacts with are actually saying or need. Just how it fits with his immediate need of that immediate moment, but the way it works is that he's not outright like, and like a total like you know just the worst person in the world. No, yeah, he's just. I think that's that's what's he's interesting about the, the interview with yeah the, that we watched where he, he you know Scorsese saying yeah or yeah Friendly Woods is saying oh he's 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 nice and but he just doesn't belong there scorsese saying he just doesn't belong there and that that's what it is it's like every he's just making mistakes he's going places right. he shouldn't go like even jumping over the turnstile it's like something he would never do has never done before but he does it and then he, then the cops busted you know i'm gonna order some food not even dine but and then run out 
And then it's like, oh, I'm going to get punished for that. It's like he's doing things against his core nature and he every step of the way he's being punished, which makes me believe that's probably why I have a demented attachment to this movie, because I do feel like that's a lot of my interactions where it's just like, oh, this this is going to be misinterpreted or, you know, uh, any interaction with people has, has the potential of disaster. Right. You know, it's like, oh. This could be fine, but it could just spin off into something terrible. It could be fraught with danger at the same right. time. I mean, yeah. Kirby Enthusiasm, right? That's the entire exactly. crux of that show. Right, it's, right. It's, and I also like the fact that like, he's, he's um, I mean, the actor's charismatic and likable enough and relatable enough. Like, like there's a, you can relate to him, but you also kind of dislike him as a, as a human being, like, like as the movie goes on, because he's just kind of a little shit. Well, he just doesn't have a lot of interest in others. Like, yeah. or, or, or he does have interest in others. He doesn't have a lot of interest in it's the a, uh, the fundamental like humanity of others. Like, like that's the that's the whole thing. Is like it's all about him, and, yeah. and like it's it's. But that's also part of like the eighties. I mean, like like that is that is like the the egocentrism. Uh, but yeah. I think I think looking yeah, yeah. back at it now makes him a bit of an unlikable character. But somehow somehow it works because he's also vulnerable and relatable at the same time. Uh, and one of the, I think one of the most egregious examples of him not doing that though is that last exchange with Rosanna Arquette's character though, where he just really like, you know, s- s- snaps. It's very funny the thing about the the the, the paperweights. I've got all these, was I got all these papers flying around at home. I need it right now. You know, I mean, it's papers everywhere. <laughs> but you know, the fact really? that like she, the ramifications of that, he finds out at the bar. You know, like it, it was like you know because he's thinking about an academic concern, how it affects him that th- uh, this woman is dead. And, and and by the way, I think the the putting the signs up is hilarious. And of course, you know, Chekhov's paperweight does come back towards the end there. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But then, like, you get to see like the real the emotional involvement of of the, of the boyfriend, like you know, having a very natural human reaction, and takes that and and the empathetic leather daddy. <laughs> You know, to, for him to like have to like put it in any frame of reference that it, that it that it matters, and it's it's that's how deep down this like crazed rabbit hole uh, that he is. That again, people some people might ascribe to like drugs. It was mostly just like an exhaustion and you know some degree of uh, of bohemian narcissism uh, tourism. Really? Because it's not his world. That's a, that's what yeah, we keep but like to. everybody in the world is actually really nice. Like like they're all uh, great, and they all have a, a a rich life that has nothing to do with him. Maybe it yeah. involves being tied up. It's none of your business, you know. Like I mean, <laughs> you do you, boo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is it? Uh, horst, right? Yeah, Horst. Lack of discipline. sauce. He's, he's a great he's a great piano player. You know. Okay, cool. You know, like and and like the whole thing where first of all, by the way, I forgot it was Bad Brains playing at the club, oh, and I yeah. also. Which is great because it's like if you're yeah. gonna have like anything that shows like that, like you know, oh something crazy is happening. It's like pay to come by Bad Brains. Great. <laughs> so many. yeah, yeah, pitch perfect. Uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, like like uh, sometimes uh, I get a little annoyed by Scorsese's pick and, uh, choice in music because yeah. it's always very nostalgic to his childhood. Yeah, for, uh, and and for every Layla in uh, Goodfellas, there's one I, like. Oh, too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, as someone who likes all that music, I don't mind it. <laughs> no, I, saying, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just it's always the same, uh, the same trough he's drinking yes. from, and, and yeah. uh, so so it was really refreshing to have, one have a great score, uh, yeah. which uh, Scorsese tends not to do a lot with scores. 
you know, yeah, Howard first, Short is really good work. Part of this. his name. I mean, his first part of his name is Scorsese, and he doesn't have scores <laughs> in his movies. It's not his um, deal, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, the other thing is, is that a lot of his films just have very, like, 50s nostalgic uh, yeah. songs and very specific of that era and, it, and it's it's played throughout this one so so like when bad brain shows up it's it's uh it's so perfect one it's seen as a culture clash and it is and it, it works because of that but it's also again if you're coming up from a world where like that is your that's your music and it's like oh well yeah he's the interloper he's to come to the punk rock it's mohawk night you don't know it's mohawk <laughs> night yeah <laughs> and I then you have that mohawk night in my house right exactly and you have that well, great my cameo of it, let me tell you you have that great cameo of Scorsese in the uh, the Russian oh, yeah, with the spotlight, yeah, in the Russian uh, army uniform, yeah, which isn't strictly necessary, but is delightful nonetheless. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Yeah, it's and uh, well, and there's all kinds of again talking about uh, well, and I also love that if I remember right for the for the billing in the. Um, uh, on, on the front of it, that the um, oh god, I, I can't remember her name right now. Uh, Ver, uh, Verna Verna Bloom, uh, right? Verna Bloom, yeah. Who uh, again, for for people that don't know, and I think a lot of people haven't seen this film, maybe they're they're watching this. High Plains Drifter. I mean, like Animal House is probably the more recent one, but it's like yep. High Plains Drifter. Holy crap! Also, I mean, Medium Cool. I mean, Medium uh, Cool. Yep, yep. An amazing film and a an important film, and you know, you know, and and that's what I'm thinking about, like how you know using actors that kind of had fallen by the wayside and just the fact that like robert forster was in medium cool and then tarantino yes. you know re revitalizes robert forster and it's 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 those kind of patterns but yeah medium cool haskell wexler's film and yeah, and, and it's uh and, and she's yeah total badass badass actress like who's but uh, again was kind of seen as being from a different era at that point other than you know being like whatever the dean's was a dean's wife in animal house i haven't seen animal house in so long yeah she's uh, the she's the dean's wife that uh is at the grocery store and is right like... <laughs> well but like i like that when you're introduced to her character she it's like oh no there's a whole like lived in experience of like you know like what's her movie like that's, that's happening while this is going on this is nuts you know like you could like just follow her around like why why is it what's happening here um and that, and that and then, song and that song uh is that all there is yeah it's such a, amazing it's yeah. such a uh like great a song <laughs> yeah it's a great song but it's so different than anything else i feel like that that was uh released during yeah, that yes. time period right like it's it's the one i mean well i, I guess the, the only other song I'll, i can really compare it to is uh frank sinatra singing um Frank Sinatra has that has that one song where he's uh Well what's but, the uh, uh Well around that time I'm trying to remember when was when was that um Rick you might know this uh that David Bowie and Mick Jagger um Dancing, Dancing, in, the Dancing in the Streets yeah yeah <laughs> when, when was that cuz it was like, sort of like 85 was, was that time that yeah. Was, yeah that that was that was a that was a collab to say the least Well but like it's okay. anything like like it's a trio <laughs> It's the sound of cocaine, yes. Well, yeah, uh, that that Peggy Lee song reminds me of uh, "That's Life." I guess is the is the only other one oh, I can really think of. Yeah. Yes, uh, right. Frank Sinatra song. Like, well, that, there was there was a big, only... but there was a big, um, there was a big hit with a, a remake of the Locomotion too. Uh, not Talk the Kylie no. Minogue version, but uh, the, yeah. Ava. Um, uh, 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 the, the Michigan band. Yeah, I'm I'm completely blanking on the. On the Holy cow! Uh, yeah, this is. This um, is like the worst quiz I'd show ever. Sorry, everyone. Them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Grand Funk Railroad. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So if you heard those movies, where I'm getting at with that, if you good, good work. If you heard uh, a song like that, it was in this recontextualized, like modern context. So yeah. to have it be like, you know, the stripped down, like super, um, you know, perfect song for that tableau of like this lonely, uh, this lonely scene and, and this, this empty club. Uh, yeah, it has a bar. <laughs> as we were talking about, yeah, so I do like fly into a rage when like needle drops or music is used in an inappropriate era, but why I don't fly. So like I fly into a rage in Goodfellas when Robert De Niro is walking through the bar in like 1971 and Sunshine of Your Love is playing. And I'm like, okay, that's that's mm. five years off. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I get really angry and my family sends me out of the room. Right. But, <laughs> but in this movie, I, see, I don't get upset. Like Henry Carroll walking through the Copacabana or whatever. Like that's yeah. the only good music. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a jam. Don't yeah, get me wrong, but it is like not all there is. It makes yeah. sense with Ver Verna Bloom. And it yeah. is like, because that's music of her era. And then, yeah, with Terry Garr playing the monkeys and uh, Joni Mitchell, it all makes sense because of her character. And so he's able to get those, you know, sort of nostalgic, somebody wrote Boomer nostalgia soundtrack needle drops into the, <laughs> the movie, but it works within the context. Because, Don't get me started on needle drops. Yeah, it's not just, it's not I'll like, uh, uh, what does Tarantino do in Inglorious Bastards that drives me crazy? Cat people, right? Or uh, even Aaron the in the first Suicide Squad movie, like, why, why, why are there songs yeah. every two minutes? Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff drives me crazy, but it works in this film. Yeah, and yeah, is, is you got to get Anthony yeah. Fantano out here and beat him in the street for all those needle drops. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is like I mean, well, the, the the good example of it is something like Baby Driver, right, where it's like integrated mm -hmm. into like the filmmaking, yeah. uh, as as definitionally like the music or if the music's not Guardians there, the of the galaxy. galaxy sure yeah yeah well, sure yeah <laughs> I mean like God knows how to use music properly <laughs> yeah but like I I I do. Like, okay, what do we, um, <laughs> you know, there's uh, Elvis. I don't really don't want to talk about the bad. I hate Baz Luhrmann. Y'all know this. We didn't cover Elvis on Oscars. Why? I like Moulin Rouge, and that's about as Baz Luhrmann I like. I don't like any Baz Luhrmann. I think he's a hack and an, an overrated he, hack at he, that. He's white? Yep. <laughs> but the thing that, like, drove me crazy other than all of it, especially the first 45 minutes of it, is when they start doing, like, the like the needle drops where it's like, oh, it's the Elvis music, like, mixed with, like, you know. the Doja like, Cat. The, yeah. And I was like, I was like, come on. Like, I actually, oh, yeah, like, that I was trying to get like, really angry. That's when I turned it off. I yeah, turned it no, off it's... after that scene because I was like, I was like, no, no. No, you're not doing uh, Hound Dog fucking hip hop remix. No, no, and that's why I skipped it. I'm just like, I can't. Is, I paid like six ninety nine to rent it or whatever. Uh, I, like, would, I would ask for my money back from whatever service well, that was because so it was garbage. And then I was like, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm just chucking the seven dollars. But like, I got right. good news though. <laughs> There's gonna be a movie about Priscilla's relation with Elvis, which oh, yeah. Elvis's estate's not happy about. Oh, but well, but Priscilla's really? excited about it. I'm like, oh, are you, are you finally gonna admit that you were groomed by a 24 year old when you were 14, Priscilla? Yeah. I'm like, is that is that the movie yeah. we're getting? Because I hope so. Just saw the preview. It's Sofia Coppola's movie. Yeah, about she, and everyone's yeah. like, why her? I'm like, she always does these types of films about his female historical. Yeah, yeah and as long as it involve okay, class, well. it's fine. Sofia's Coppola's mm -hmm. good, good directing. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, people. <laughs> or she's not acting in it. Well, yeah. sure. Well. But, but uh, but anyway, the only reason the only reason I even evoked yeah. that horrible Baz Luhrmann movie is just because it was like that's an example of how not to do it, and and I think again that is that all there is in here is it's a perfect example of how to do it because it's yes. like again think about where it is in the movie and where uh, he is in this endless night that like also it's not just like for her it's also like oh no this is like kind of like 
a bit a bit of a level set for him as well. And which which like the mob showing up immediately afterwards wouldn't work. You need that kind of breaker in between, that like break in the uh, in the antics. Yeah. Well, the the other thing is that I mean, you know, talking earlier about how this is kind of a very strung out uh, version of Soho, right? Like a version of Soho that's fading into dust, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, nothing really solidifies that uh, that symbolically. Then you know this this woman, kind of this aged woman who's uh, aging aging out of you know that era, right? Like living at the bottom of uh like the 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 basement or whatever of this like club berlin place which uh you know probably fucking sucks to live at because it's probably a lot as fuck on mohawk night every time you're trying to sleep you're like ah man mohawk night again but like but it's this you know there's something very cobwebbed almost about it right like uh it's it's not strung out the way that you know these characters really are where they're running around the streets and it's like uh you know you can tell that this world's been too lived in it's it's almost like this is the the last like uh real bohemian kind of fading away into nothing in, in the basement of this uh you know in the basement of club berlin by the way, uh, she was 47 in this movie. <laughs> As I said, no. <laughs> I'm turning 46 in December. You know, it's like, uh, but we all know it's different standards for uh, for actresses than it is for actors, isn't it? Yeah, you, you, you literally, Conan, if you, if you at 46 can totally have like a female lead at like 21 and it's okay. Yeah, patriarchy he, rules. He didn't. She didn't actually. Uh, didn't actually pass away until 2019. She was 80. Oh wow! I mean, they, nice. look, look at look at Oppenheimer. Everyone's like, "Oh, Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy." That age difference is uh, it's uncomfortable. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's "Who cares?" <laughs> Wait, do you hear about every other movie? <laughs> Why is it just this movie you're mad about? Yeah, I'm this like, is also, what too, there was an age difference between him and his mistress anyway. So who gives a fuck? Killian Murphy kind of looks like a uh, a vampire, so I feel like he's kind of timeless anyway. Yeah. I love Killian. <laughs> he's got like his, the, he's got, accent, he's got the face of he's got the face and the pallor of like a a vampire that's lived here for like a thousand. Because he's Irish, and Irish people just look like that. Thank I think you. he's one of those he's one of those guys that like I think he's getting like better more he's getting more interesting looking as he gets older. Yes. Yeah. Very you know much. I mean? Meanwhile, Matt Mickelson looks the same. Yeah, a real vampire. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Cause, uh, cause, yeah, no, because because he was like a, a watered down. Um, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, when he was younger, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, like Benedict Cumberbatch came on the scene, in order, and, is, and it's just like you know everybody kind of forgot about him in Hollywood. Now he's kind of back, which I, I'm glad to see because I like him as an actor. We are so back. <laughs> well I, I love that i love that they took the uh the peaky blinder scene uh where killian murphy is like walking through the bar and he's like no fighting no fighting no fighting and everybody i love that people turned that into a meme for a little while and it was yeah. like, or the one where he's got a like, gun to his head it was like things you like things you liked things you there's like no fight like you know it was always like the these different groupings of people that like have to get get along or something like that i just like, always saw the socialist one <laughs> That's yeah. the only one I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's like, like, you know what? It's a good show. I, I assumed it was going to be, I think, a lot less smart than it was, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, I think I, assu- I, I assumed it was going to be Prohibition Sons of Anarchy. I got that feeling too. But <laughs> and it's not what it is. It's not, it's better than that. And like, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. There's a little bit of that vibe in uh, Boardwalk Empire, which is another, I mean, a Scorsese show. Yep. <laughs> but getting back to After Hours, uh, I think that like, when there's the what what so that pe- the the 
the the paper mache the screaming guy where he's like oh it's like that uh it's like that other piece of yeah. art. like uh That's the true. guy he's like yelling or something i can yeah know, like what is it called again you know <laughs> holler uh but again talking about Chekhov's gun right that's like Chekhov's paper mache that like <laughs> it plays into place well and like later on where he's like i gotta escape they're coming for me and he's like hold on i got an idea it's yeah it's, it's awesome well, it's, it also creates a, a direct link between uh kiki bridges and that yes. older woman right like because right. she's kind of what kiki bridges would inevitably uh morph into you know in in i guess probably like 10 years but since you know verna bloom was only like 48 but uh or 47 or whatever but like you know that that same kind of um through line between like this artist creating the same kind of paper mache things in this tiny little fucking basement uh yeah. instead of like the loft owned by you know uh her like owned by uh marcy i keep wanting to call her marcia because he screams he screams like uh marcy marcy and i keep in my head right, right, right. marcia 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 <laughs> but uh marcy's like husband's you know apartment that they're probably living at pretty much for free like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but i think that like it it's it works as because because you get to the point of like the mobs is it's escalating it's escalating they think he's the thief they think like you know he's like you know the worst thing that ever happened since like pole pot you know at that point and like <laughs> <laughs> and and like it's like well how like how's he gonna get away and it's, and then like not only is he get plaster paris then you see cheech and jong again mm -hmm. who are brilliantly deployed in this film and yes i think because they're not too heavy overutilized than others oh, yes did you guys know they got weed gummies that's like every other ad on twitter i see <laughs> Did you guys know that? Did you guys know oh, yeah. that you're yeah, yeah. selling? I've been I've been getting those I've been getting those ads since watching this movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my computer, I guess, picked up when I was doing the intro, and I was like, "Cheech and Chong." My computer must have like picked that up and been like, "Did you say Cheech and or Chong?" Here you go. Here's some targeted ads for you. <laughs> uh, I'd rather yeah. get those ads than the weird like scammy Barbenheimer T-shirt ads that I keep seeing. I'm like, guys, don't be getting them from like, you know, it's it's Elon's Twitter. We can't, you know, shit's not verified anymore. No. It's a wild west. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean there's so many people selling that bootleg Jesus Jesus Lizard t shirt when you just buy the real thing, the one that was in Nope, uh speaking of Kiki, uh that um <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Kiki Palmer, you can do better. Sorry. <laughs> Yo, men, uh, men, you guys are really just really showing your true colors. Not not anyone on this panel, but I'm just saying. Three quarters of us are married. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Forest. I'm you know I'm over here giving tips to Jonah Hill. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, do we want to do letterbox one-liners? Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, <clears throat> so of course, Letterboxd is a is a website. It's a it's a place. It's a social media experience for people who are film lovers who talk at it within to each other about the films that they love, maybe the films that they didn't love. The films that they were unnecessarily thirsty for Griffin Dunn, Actually, uh, it's kind of not a bad looking alarming. Uh, how many of those were thirst posts? Uh, and of course, all this is uh, best expressed succinctly. Got you're working your tight five in front of your brick wall at the comedy store or something just to get into the eighties of it, right? And uh, this is the uh, this is the time where these are all collected together. We put them on the screen to talk about the movie we're talking about. These are the letterbox one liners for after hours. This film is the reason I don't read Tropic of Cancer in public. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it really does start with like the uh, the the Henry Miller like uh, kind of douchey like 
the quotation or whatever. He's like, oh, I like that this girl reads. Yeah, Maybe. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and just it gets this goes downhill from there. But I like that it is Tropic of Cancer, and he feels the need to point out that it's Tropic of Cancer as well. I, I like that. I like that unnecessary uh, extra tag where it's like you could have just left that, man. You don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to say that. Now I can truly understand what Scorsese saw and Bo was afraid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real though, like, <laughs> no, it's that, yeah, that is very real. <laughs> More corporate New York City men should be humbled by a night like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should have to go to Soho at least once, and like, uh, you know, in, in in the dead of night, and and with no phone, no phone, no apps. You can't use yeah. the fucking apps. Like, you know what though. Let's you can't try to you can't try to get some get some girl to take in because she feels bad for you on fucking Tinder. You can't do that. You're stuck, uh, you know, doing it like they did in the '80s. Let's be honest. Giuliani had his uh, after hours moment, and that's why he uh, destroyed New York. <laughs> there you go. You reap what you sow. I guess this is yeah. my own personal 9/11. <laughs> Paul is afraid 1985. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- uh, I took away some of the oomph from this by referencing that movie like 17 times. That's on me. Sorry. Yeah. But he, he could be like uh, Bo's like what? Like grandfather or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, my, my review is literally basically the same thing. So, you know. You're going to plagiarize just like the right screenwriter? Sorry. Apparently I did. And I didn't realize it. <laughs> Tag yourself. I'm the movie freak ex-husband who screams surrender Dorothy when he comes. It's, it's hilarious, though, that he doesn't just scream it once. Like, the story is like he's screaming it again and again and again and yeah. again. He just can't stop. He just doesn't stop. He just yeah. wouldn't yeah. stop. He just wouldn't stop. And then he went stop. to he went to fucking Turkey to get away from his uh, Surrender Dorothy problem. As one does, <laughs> yes. <laughs> People who romanticize the 80s are crazy. Imagine not being able to call an Uber and then this shit happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Hackett, Lord, why do you give me your toughest battles? God, you are my horniest soldier. That is kind of what he's atoning for, right? Like just being horny and going to yeah, a neighborhood. It's, that it's he horny jail. Exactly. Bonk. Exactly. Oh, because all the stuff that happened was happening after hours. I get it. Well, the guy says it. He says there's it. There's different, yeah. rules. Yeah. there's different rules at night. Yeah, I'm, you can see my bald ass head over the. Uh... There's Paul Stanley making a surprise appearance. That's another thing about the '80s. I'll tell you, all you young people, is that there wasn't a lot of 24 hour stuff. Like everything. Well, it's kind of yeah. stopped again, but there, you know, that whole era of 24 hour. Like it was like New York City had like 24 hours. Chicago maybe, but it was like there were very few places in the world where you could have a late night after hours experience. just to be just to hang yeah. out and wait for the buses to start up again or you know something yeah whatever. yeah new york city has different laws than the rest of the state still too like uh you can you can still be at like a certain after hours clubs at like 6 a.m i mean you shouldn't be but you can be what and actually you know even like a generation before my mom talks about going to new york city when she was you know a college college age and it was safe it was like it wasn't even like after hours it was like you could go there it was all night you know and and it wasn't dangerous and it wasn't yeah you weren't you know going to be followed by a mob or anything like that it was it was you know a very kind of wonderful cosmopolitan 24-hour city exactly i don't ever want to hear shit about being a homebody 
<laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. That's this is my reason for staying home. Yeah. And exactly. his, his apartment is also beige. His phone is beige. His like clothes that he's wearing are like, you know, off color. You know what I mean? Like it, it's very funny that like he starts out there and he's like fucking horny. And he's like clearly he's clearly horny in his like American psycho ass apartment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Again, this is this is why I never go out. <laughs> Same principle. Those are the letterbox one liners for after hours. Please, 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 please follow the show. Uh that's Mr. Mohawk Ugh, over there. Um <laughs> Conceptual art show at Club Berlin, Movie Night Extra, representing the show, all the wonderful movies that we cover here. I, of course, am Kona Neutron. Uh, it is possible, but not at the moment, to follow me. You would have to be on Letterboxd to do that. I'm covering the highbrow, the midbrow, the populist fair. Follow me along for the Criterion Challenge, if you dare. Uh, I'm all over that business. Uh, last night in Soho there. Ooh, this is hard. There's not as much room to move in this view. <laughs> Uh, Last Night in Soho is Christina Oaks there, not the movie. Uh, she's on Letterboxd. Maybe she'll come back and log some stuff for you. Maybe she won't. There's, there's a movie coming out that she's pretty excited about, so maybe we'll see something from Christina there. I don't know. Well, I haven't heard her talk about it at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does anybody know her thoughts on this? Anybody? Um, uh, Jay Underworld, a.k.a. Surrender Dorothy, is uh, watching all the weirdest stuff so you don't have to, or maybe so you can. I don't know. It's not not for me to judge. not my place to say, but he's doing it either way, with or without you, so you can follow him on there. Uh, he's all over Letterboxd. Rick Valentin, the word processor down there, is on Letterboxd. He's kind of oh. stealth about it. RNV123. By the way, I appreciate the universal handle that you go by, because more people should do that, myself inclusive, mm. for the show. Um and occasionally we'll uh, log some things on there. I think you mostly use like watchlist functioning. Yeah, just right, to remember so. what I watched. Which is how I started, and then I just ended up, yeah, with all this. Here we are. <laughs> uh, but of course, of course, of course, of course, um, we got plugs. So Jane the world, please take us away with the plugs. Why don't you? All right. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, please do those YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell. And the big ask, of course, is watch the video to the end. That lets you hear a great Conan Neutron song, but also allows us to be discovered by other movie fans. So uh, if right. you can, please do that. Uh, we're also over on Twitch. So do the Twitch things. Throw us a sub. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe for free. doesn't cost you a penny, but that actually helps us out, which uh, would thank you if, if you're able to do that. Um, we are on other social media sites too. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and now blue sky. Uh, we, right. we, we, hacked blue sky. We got ourselves some codes and we're on there now. Um, just in time for everybody to be mad at it apparently. But oh, anyway. are they? I don't know. Yeah, I've been... yeah, yeah. <laughs> threads is next. We got this. <laughs> uh, threads, threads kind of annoys me, but, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not into threads at all. The, the, the I, is... First of all, I won't be on it until it's. Until you can do something other than algorithm. I'll never be anything that's yeah. pure algorithm. Ever. Yeah, the, the, the thing me. about threads that you see me really on those nice. things, shoot my electronic avatar in the face because it's a body yeah. snatchers moment. Thank you. I, I would say the one nice thing about threads is that you can join it. All of a sudden, you have all your friends from your other social media sites there. Yeah, you just yeah, can't right. see their posts. That's the only problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I don't know, see I've whatever, whatever celebutard is uh, mouthing <laughs> off at that moment. Yeah. Great. Sounds awesome. Anyway. Um, but, but we have a Patreon, <laughs> and uh, you should you should join our Patreon so you can actually hear uh, straight from us, uh, uh, unlike Threads, and you can get access to things like the after party, like we're going to be having tonight, um, which we're uh, we're doing a special one, right? So KT is going to yeah. come on yeah. and talk about the strike. So um, 
yeah, so as soon as we get done here, we're going to jump on with uh, KT. And uh, and Rick, you're obviously uh, perfectly welcome to join us. I hope you do. We're going to be talking about the uh, SAG strike and the Writers Guild strike going on at the same time. And, and KT uh, is a member of SAG, just, you know. Yeah, so she's going to be kind of going through with the, uh, the the demands and, like, the contract with us and what they're uh, – what, what they're striking for. And also we're going to talk, I think about the future of AI a little bit and creative Ugh. industries. Mm. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. We're uh, going to fit all that in, in the after. Okay. never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there you are know, conversations he, that are intertwined because it's, it's ambitious. The, well, no, they're, they're conversations that are, well, I, I also have clips for that, but that's why everyone that, should join the Patreon so they can see yeah. all of this stuff. This one's right? going to be, this one's exactly. going to be, uh, this one's going to be public. I think as long as it's, I mean, if, if it's an unproductive conversation, quiet then you, know, then you'll know. What <laughs> no, I'm, no, uh, hey, yeah, sure. Undercut the pitch for the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you always complain you have no money, and this is why. Right <laughs> here. placement. This is, this yeah, exactly. Is, like, like, I, I have no money. Anybody want a free stream? Anybody want a, a free? I got a, I got a free, I got a free stream. <laughs> I got that AI discussion. Then anyway, thank you. That's a drug and deal it, reference. It, it might even sag a little bit, you know. Yes. Sad? So, so Conan, you just had uh, M. Martin of uh, uh, coordinated and uh, coordinated suicides in Pink City, and uh, Pink City and uh, Caritons as well. Yeah, no, it's, uh, Mike's great. It's, uh, it's an awesome show. Um, that is on. The, uh, that's actually in the in the general feed now. Uh, and yeah, it was a good one. I got Ryan Christopher Parks coming up this week from uh, B. Hamilton, uh, which is great. And um, there's a new B. Hamilton record. I think I'm gonna. Oh kind of preview premiere what is it a premiere preview it's a preview and a premiere it's it's, it's a, i need like some portman two of those two words but uh one of the songs of the new b hamilton record so it's, it's weird because they both start with pre so it's really hard to you do would think that work yeah. yeah but it's like no then it sounds like you're saying pp and no one's looking for that but no. yeah you <laughs> said pp no <laughs> and uh uh you got a patreon for your protonic reversal so yep. you can get that early if you subscribe one dollar a month, early access. It's Bernie yep. Sanders model. <laughs> Lots of donors, low. For one dollar. One dollar. Yes, and you got shows coming up in uh, Louisville and Ohio, two in Ohio, I believe. Yes, uh, Cincinnati and Columbus, Friday and Saturday. Louisville, Kentucky, on Sunday for Magfest, and then we have a Madison, Wisconsin show at the next Saturday. And we just played. The little old band called Poster Children in uh, Milwaukee, technically cut a hay, uh, and it was be great. Be careful about Cincinnati because apparently the uh, Oppenheimer folks are probably going to, for their last promo, bomb the city of Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> like a promo bomb or like a real bomb? Like I, 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 I saw the thing where it's like <laughs> when they were talking about Chris one. Nolan being like he always uses practical effects, and it's like it's even like, for this yeah. one. The U.S. government's like, what are you guys doing over there? Yeah, we well, I, I, I like the I like the idea that like the fucking SAG strike happens and they all walk off the promo thing, so they don't yeah. have any more actors to promo it anymore. Like, yeah, just like, have the bomb. He's like, now. you know what? Let's just drop an atom bomb on yeah, yeah, a exactly. mid-sized American it. city. Yeah, Cincinnati <laughs> sounds great. Nobody yeah, goes no, there. Nothing will promo. It'll be like the end of Return of the Living Dead. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> And what you know, you're gonna have to hide underground. A lot of malls have underground uh, movie no, theaters. What else are you gonna really do? You know, bunkers. this is quite the spec script we're putting together here. What's next, Andy? Yeah, I was just gonna say, uh, Neutron <laughs> Friends on Bandcamp.com. Get yes. yourself some coded Neutron music. 
And please, please, I'm broke. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no free streams <laughs> really, from Conan. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a new record coming out in uh, I, I, one of these shows. I'll be able to announce it. Not yet. It's coming soon. Soon enough. Yeah. Cool stuff is coming. Big things coming, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I hate it when people do that. Hey, big stuff coming. Just don't, just wait and announce it when it happens. Then, yeah, thank you. Yeah, just stay, I'm stay an stay impatient too. woman. Just kidding. <laughs> exactly, it's a busy world out there. But you know what, though, you can be patient and get uh, Christina on Twitch. Yes. Oh, how's hmm. that for transition? Smooth. Eh. <laughs> yeah. B minus, but you know. yeah, no, I, I, was I, I'm, I'm gonna be back next week. I've been busy dog sitting because i need the money i've been making you know sweet sweet money i'm gonna be making 900 dollars like dogs like just cat sitting for one cat hmm. which wow. i'm like i i ain't bitch it i could use that for cosplay and computer parts but yeah and i brought back my patreon patreon.com slash cosmopolitics i have booked my first interview after forever friend of the show andy kindler Woo, that's yeah awesome. that's gonna be great yeah, that's gonna be fun. What's, what's and, the, uh, uh, what was the, what was the movie with the cat and the uh, like? The cat inherited the money. You know what? Never mind. I don't even care. Never mind. Never mind. I was gonna yeah, make a reference boring. to a movie I barely. Well, remember. we should be talking about Garfield. Poster no. <laughs> children, or just talk over me. Yeah, I was just gonna say we should be talking Follow about your Rick, bliss. Rick and poster uh, children, and of course, salary man, which I totally misspelled. Which which I wrote sal salary ma'am. So, good too. <laughs> that's, that's what? Sorry, ma'am. That's a free EP title for you. Yeah, I'm like, look at that going. That's spelled wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Poster Children just played, so we missed promoing that. Could have planned that better. Yeah, we don't well, have we, any. We did plug it. We did plug it last week, though. Thank you. We, we, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you just played Chicago. You played Madison. Uh, anything, anything else in the on the hopper for the OP kids? Nothing in the hopper. Yeah, no. That's mm. it. And of course, you got uh, uh, Radio Zero. People can uh, check that out. Uh, it's it's uh, what is it twice a week or every other week? Every other week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what does yeah. biweekly mean? Yeah, it means both. Yeah. Yeah. Twice a week or every bi curious week. Yeah, it means you buy every week. Yeah. Hey, oh, speculate! Which happy birthday, bisexuality? It was actually given a label like 20 years ago by Newsweek. Oh. I was like, the concept? I think it's been around longer than that, but yeah. I know, but they made it yeah. mainstream. Well, I mean, it was called like uh, I remember like their, they made uh, my it mom political. used to always tell me about the uh, the Elton John interview where he's like, I'm ACDC. Hmm. Oh yeah, which was like a, a weird term for bisexuality back in the 70s. And that's what my mom always did, uh, like growing up. Yeah, if you don't have the nomenclature, <laughs> sure. What are you, you're gonna, no, yeah, you know. it's ACDC. You know, you're, you're either back in black or you're uh, uh, highway to hell. I'm more of a powerage kind of guy, but whatever. <laughs> or you're pansexual. You're only uh, attracted to kitchen utensils. <laughs> Wolf. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that joke didn't go over well when my kid told me they were uh, when they were pansexual. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah. one of my friends one time came out as pansexual and I was like, pots too? And they didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> let, let, me just, let me just get us out of this bit entirely. Uh, Lost Found and Rewound, Lost and Found and Rewound podcast, which is a great movie podcast that I I, I guess is coming back. Rick, can you can you tell us? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's talks about talk about it. There's talk. Yeah. 
I don't understand like the episodes. We're putting have, the like... rumors back out of the streets. So, so. <laughs> yeah, we're no, in I don't the streets. understand it either. That's like, yeah. uh, that's like when when you're talking about how like you know your movie might come out, and you're like, we're in talks. Uh, yeah. Know. Oh no, it is a negotiation. Well, I can say I do enjoy that show, which uh, Rick is on when it has happened in the past and apparently the future. And like, there's this weird naming convention that is supposedly aligned with the movies and nobody can figure out, including most of the people on the show. Exactly. But it's a good show. So if people like this show, which one would hope they do if they're checking it out. <laughs> this is all the hate watchers. We just have hate watchers. I, I, don't, I don't know. What, exactly. Uh, they should also check that out. Cause that's easy to forget about as well. And thoughts detecting machines as well, which I love quite a bit. And uh, copies that split seven inch still available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually sold a couple on Saturday. So Great. There you go. There you go. Right. Yeah. Anything else, Andy? What, what else? What uh, that's pretty much it. We we passed my birthday, so you know uh, that, that was Friday birthday. That's right. Mm-hmm. Did um, you get to do whatever what you saw that band that you wanted to see. Yeah, I saw the Fawns. Not 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 yeah, but you know, like the deer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was fun seeing them. Uh, they had a. Uh, uh, they had surprise guests, um, uh, the Winter Pills, come up and sing backup on a couple tracks, which was cool. Uh, which uh, Winter Pills was on uh, the TV show Weeds, if uh, y'all are fans. Uh, mm, yeah, I remember that. Show. Yeah. See, now you're really going to get those targeted ads, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you, you know that show Weeds, man? Well, now we have we have teaching Chong edibles. <laughs> oh, my God. I but, can't uh, look at the ad. But Rick, do you have any uh, final final thoughts about this movie or about? I mean, we're we're, we're going to talk for a while, I'm sure, about you know everything else in the world. So anything about this movie that we didn't get to? Oh yeah, nothing nothing that I can think of. Just thanks for letting me talk about. It. I think thanks one of my on. favorite movies. This is yeah. I'm I just watching it again. That's really a barometer for me, as if I can keep watching it and not grow tired and not stop laughing. And I I haven't grown tired of this film and haven't stopped laughing yet so that's that's a good sign hmm. so thank you for this opportunity to talk about it i loved it of course um christina final thoughts very very underrated and underappreciated scorsese film and that i highly recommend if you're looking for something that's not goodfellas or casino or raging bull this is your film I thought you said Christino for a second. <laughs> you don't remember that? Uh, I think it was a Paramount Plus reboot series, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, thank you, but... Paramount Plus. This... <laughs> but Conan, final thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know I love the 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 subgenre of the the late night odyssey full of shenanigans and antics. Um, this is for me the the upper echelon of that genre. And, and again, it's, it's incredible to think how much of this is influenced. Um, and in some cases, <laughs> um, people may not even know this film, but they appreciate the children of this film. And it's wild that much like we said with mean streets that, you know, people forget that movie exists. And it's like, no, that movie is, is really good. Like, it's not even like upper tier Martin Scorsese. I feel like this is upper tier Martin Scorsese, but it's just so, doesn't fit nicely in any easy category, which honestly are some of my favorite films. And I am going to side with the word processor down there. It's deeply hilarious, very much uh, on my sensibilities. And I like that 
he's not an outright villain. You know, he just makes the wrong decisions and and doesn't like listen, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I I, I would argue that there wouldn't be a curb your enthusiasm without an after hours. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen this movie since high school. Um, it's like one of those movies that would have come on like Saturday afternoon while I was drawing. And uh, I just would have on in the background. And um, uh, and I enjoy a lot of these things. And sometimes I just didn't even know what the movie was. So so um, uh, thank you for, for kind of bringing it back to me because uh, uh, it was it was nice to actually really sit down and watch it, uh, even though I was drawing the entire time this time, too. Yeah. Uh, but that's another story. Um, but, but yeah, no. And, uh, I, I do really think it's fascinating to watch because this, this is a nice, um, so, uh, you know, capturing this, uh, the moment of the eighties, uh, understanding like, uh, you know, the, 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 the malaise of being a yuppie as well as, um, that, that transition of New York from, from, uh, you know, th that's that we've lost because uh, like, you know, when I took my kids to New York, I'm just like, man, we didn't even get to see any crimes. There was like literally only <laughs> one angry homeless person. Like, what the hell? You know, not getting the authentic experience, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, when, when you guys were talking about how, uh, you know, his big sin is really not listening. I was just thinking about Barton Fink. With John Goodman where he's like, you don't listen. <laughs> so good. Good. Um, another another one set in LA too <laughs> but yeah so we're gonna go to the sag after stream in a few minutes uh you know continue this conversation over there um I put the uh the link in the in in the chat here I'll put the link for uh I'll put the the link into the into the the, the chat itself right now while we're still on on the stream doing this doing this live <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he had no bits played, as you can tell. This is usually, usually, usually a much more succinct ending. Yeah, yes. but we're just Play me prolonging off, the magic. Anyway. Should I have talked longer in my cl uh, closing thoughts there? <laughs>